extended version today of Leave It on the Track. Uh, It's in some kind of a loop, and I couldn't get it to stop. But this is Thursday, August the 10th, and we are on Fan for Racing Radio for our Indianapolis NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. Joining me for today's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. I was going to ask if uh, you were ready to go. I was just getting ready to message you. Not that I wasn't uh, enjoying the music there, but uh, yeah, I was getting a little <laughs> concerned as far as that. So, Yeah, it's still circling. I don't know what the deal was, but I couldn't stop it like I normally can. And so we just listened to the extended version. Okay, just to give you an overview of our show here today, in our first half hour, we are going to start with short track news. Uh, give you an idea of all the different races that are coming up for the weekend. Next, we'll preview the Arca Menard Series as well as the Arca East Series race, one race, two series, at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park, when we'll also give you that brief update for the Arca West Series as well. In the next half hour, we're going to comment on the media interview uh, that took place earlier this week with NASCAR Cup Series driver Chase Briscoe. He's the driver of the number 14, Stuart Hawes Racing Ford. Uh, And then Jay and I will comment on that interview. And afterward, we'll preview the NASCAR Truck Series race at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park this weekend. In our third half hour, we'll preview the NASCAR Xfinity and the NASCAR Cup Series races at Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course. And then stay tuned for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with the Fan for Racing crew. And when I say we have a full house, we have a full house. So I think I'm just going to facilitate and let you guys uh, give your opinions. Well, I'm really, as always, really excited for Hot Topics. Some of them are kind of repeat topics. But as you said, we have a full house, get a couple of new perspectives as well, as Brian's going to be able to jump in on a couple of the topics he hasn't talked about yet, and some new developments amongst those. So I think that's going to be great. Exactly. But we got some exciting races to cover first. Exactly right. We'll have, uh, in addition to Brian, we'll have Andy Lasky, as well as Mike Orzel uh, in our Fan for Racing panel today. So it's definitely going to be a full house. Several races uh, that are coming up this weekend in both the dirt and short track scene. So, uh, well, let's start with today's races. Okay, we've got the World of Outlaws Knoxville Nationals Night 2 at Knoxville Raceway starting at 6 p.m. tonight. It will be uh, available via live streaming on Dirt Vision. Also on Dirt Vision is going to be uh, the Extreme Outlaw Series at 6.15 at Linda Speedway. And then Flow Racing is going to have uh, the live streaming for the Lucas Oil North-South 100 at Florence Speedway starting at 7 p.m. tonight. And on the short tracks, we're going to have the Road Warrior Challenge, Thunder Road uh, Speedway, and that'll be at 7 p.m. on Flow Racing. And while we're still on the 10th here, I know it's not listed, and in the next break, I'm going to set my DVR. SRX Series running at Eldora tonight, I believe, um, for that. So that should be on ESPN. Yes, indeed. And then um, I didn't cover the Modified Special 
at Delaware's International Speedway. Uh, they don't have a ta- time listed here, but check out Flow Racing. They will have the live streaming available. Okay, let's go ahead and move on over to um, the 11th Dirt and Short Track Racing. Jay, you want to go ahead and cover the dirt side, and I'll cover the short track. All right. Well, with the dirt side, the Knoxville Nationals uh, is a big week-long racing. So this is night three at Knoxville Raceway. Dirt Vision will cover that at 6 p.m. Then the Extreme Outlaw Series, they're going to be at Path Valley Speedway Park. Dirt Vision will have that at 6 p.m. as well. The Lucas Oil North-South 100, that's a big one. Florence Speedway, Flow Racing will have that at 7 p.m. At 7.15, they start covering weekly racing. Jacksonville Speedway at 7.15 p.m. Dirt Vision. Weekly racing from Beaver Dam Raceway will be on Dirt Vision at 7.30. At 7.55, switch over to Flow Racing, and you can co- catch uh, Marshalltown Speedway for weekly racing. And then another NASCAR weekly racing, the Autodrome Granby. Time is to be determined at Flow Racing as well as weekly racing from Utica Rome Speedway. Those two, you'll have to check out the times, but they will be on Flow Racing. Okay, we'll move on to short track racing for August the 11th. That's tomorrow. The Cars Tour at Ace Speedway, uh, time to be determined, will be available at Flow Racing. And then the weekly racing at Stafford Motor Speedway starts at 5.45 p.m., and will be streamed on Flow Racing, as will the NASCAR Weekly Racing at Meridian Speedway. Again, we've got a TBD for time. Uh, And then a TBD also for time at Flow Racing, the NASCAR Weekly Racing at Jennerstown Speedway. So next we'll move to our August uh, 12th dirt racing section. That's Saturday racing. Well, again, got a big list here as the World Outlaw Knoxville Nationals covers night number four, and that'll be at 6 p.m., Dirt Vision covering that. The Extreme Outlaw Series, they move over to Bridgeport Motorsports Park and catch that at 6 p.m. as well on Dirt Vision. Flow Racing at 7 will be covering the Lucas Oil North-South 100 again, Florence Speedway. Then the Weekly Racing, Dirt Vision will cover at Volusia Speedway Park at 6 p.m., at 6.15, it's the Land of Legends Raceway. At 6.30, these are all still on Dirt Vision. Sharon Speedway uh, going to be there. And then the Beaver Dam Raceway has a second follow-up night at 7.30 p.m. Then Flow Racing has the Falls Cup, Fairbury American Legion Speedway, with a time to be determined. I think all these last ones on Flow Racing, yeah, yeah they don't have times listed. So you'll have to check and find out. But the USAC CRA Sprint Cars, they're at Santa Maria Raceway. And the Tri-Track Modified, that'll be at New London Waterford Speed Bowl. And then lastly, weekly racing from Fonda Speedway. Again, check out the times on Flow Racing. All right. Next, we'll move to short track racing on Saturday, August the 12th. We have weekly racing at the Thunder Bowl Thunder Road Speedway Bowl at 7 p.m. on Flow Racing. Then it's NASCAR Championship Night at Lacrosse Fairground Speedway. Time to be determined, but it is available at Flow Racing. A lot of, though, all the rest of these are at Flow Racing, and they all have TBDs. 
So check out Flow Racing for the times. Uh, we've got NASCAR Weekly Racing at Hickory Motor Speedway, at Bowman Gray Speedway Stadium, Langley Speedway, Motor Mountain Masters will be available at Jennerstown Speedway, the Wing Sprints at Berlin Raceway, and the Super Modified Cup Magic Valley Speedway, as well as the Wing Supers at Oswego Speedway, all on Flow Racing, uh, but no times are listed, so you'll have to check those out over at the website. Okay, next we'll move over to, I guess we just have one race on dirt on August the 13th, which is Sunday. And that'll be the Super Dirt Car Series from Brewerton Speedway. That'll be at 6 p.m. on Dirt Vision. And if able, I just wanted to give a little update here, insight to this. Uh, Talking about the Flow Racing TBD, Times to be Determined. Uh, as you can see, they do a lot of racing coverage. A lot of things go into the logistics of that, whether it's getting crews to the track. I've worked with a couple of the crews they've sent down to Jackson Motor Speedway. And then, again, they want to provide good racing action so they don't necessarily start with the uh, hot laps or anything. So what time we actually get under race conditions is why that time to be determined isn't listed. So. Uh, just keep that in mind. It's not that they don't know what they're doing. It's they got a lot going on and a lot of pe- moving pieces to get in play. Yeah, that's really good. And also, I want to give you an update on the SRL series. August 9th, that's today. No, that was yesterday. Uh, they had the national battle at Berlin, 250 at Berlin Raceway. Um, so that was a big race. I think uh, Chase Elliott came in second. I can't remember who came in first there. Um, but uh, Bubba, that Bubba Pollard. Bubba Pollard won it. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, and then also on August 12th, that's Saturday, the Spears Southwest Tour uh, race will take place at Colorado National Speedway. And coming up on August the 24th is the SRO National Salute to the 75, tribute to Larry Phillips at Lebanon I-44 Speedway, September 2nd. That's the Stockton 99 Speedway race. So a lot of racing coming up in the SRL, both the uh, uh, Southwest Series as well as the National Series. But I know that uh, battle at Berlin 250 was a huge race last night. Well, and I don't know if we have that listed uh, under our, our notes here, as I know we're getting ready to move to the ARCA series, but I will say this. It's listed in the article on uh, Racing America about putting on a clinic. You talk about some of these NASCAR stars, Chase Elliott, William Byron, Eric Jones, that come to these races and they say that they're taking money away from them and all this. Bubba Pollard showed them that's his playground, so if they're, they're going to come in there and take it, they got to take it from them. Yes, indeed. Okay, we are going to move over to the Arca Menards and Arca East Series race that's taking place out at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park in Brownsburg, Indiana. It's the Reese's 200 this Friday, tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be telecast uh, live on Fox Sports 1, and they'll be racing a distance of 200 laps to cover a distance of 137.2 miles. So you want to go ahead and get started there, Jay? 
All right, and that's another one I'm going to try and set my DVR for here. But the Reese's 200 will serve as the 12th race of the 20 race 2023 Arkham Menard series season, but also then race number six of eight for the Arkham Menard series East. The race will award full championship points to both series, and the race winner is credited with a win in both series. Awesome. Jesse Love enters the Henry Ford Health System 200. Um, actually, he's entering the race this weekend. I don't think it's called that because that was the name of the race at um, Michigan. But he's got an 82-point lead in the Arkham Art Series championship standings over runner-up Frankie Munoz. Love scored his sixth win uh, this season and his second consecutive victory last Friday at Michigan International Speedway. So he wants to keep that momentum going, I'm sure, in Indianapolis. Or should I say Brown? Well, and those victories, yeah, those victories uh, by Love have in the Arkham Menard Series have come at a variety of tracks. Talladega Speedway, Super Speedway, sorry, Kansas Speedway, Charlotte Motor Speedway, Elko Speedway, and then Pocono Raceway, and you mentioned Michigan International Speedway. Yeah, Jesse Love is a tough competitor. He knows how to get it done at all different types of tracks. But Munoz enters the Reese's 200 fresh off a career-best fifth-place finish in the most recent race that was at Michigan. It marks his first career top-five finish that allowed him to retake that second place in the series championship standings from Andres Perez de Lara. But if he has anything to say about it, I think he wants to grab it back if he can. Well, and he certainly has the opportunity as Perez dominated at Michigan, earning the General Tire Pole Award and leading 43 laps. He was leading with 10 laps remaining when a mechanical issue hit him and sidelined him. Him a 17th place finish. Now, William Sawalich leads the Arkham Menard Series East competition in the championship standings by 11 points over Luke Fenhouse. Both drivers have a pair of victories this season, and Sawalich taking the checkered flag first at Five Flag Speedway and Flat Rock Speedway, while Fenhouse has scored wins at Nashville Fairground Speedway and Iowa Speedway. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, out uh, at Lucas Oil IRP. Well, and an interesting note to that is Fenhouse won the most recent combination race for the Arkham Menard Series and the Arkham Menard Series East at Iowa Speedway, which this one is yet again at Lucas Oil IRP. Yes, indeed. And that is also a combination event. Now, the Reese's 200 will be the 18th Arkham Road Series race at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. It dates they date back to 1971, and that race was won by Ramos. Uh, other winners include Ralph Latham in 1972, Bruce Gould in 74, Marvin Smith in 83, Bob Schott in 1984 and 85, Davy Allison also won in 85, Ty Dillon won in 2011, Frank Kimmel in 2012. Brendan Jones in 14, Travis Braden in 15, Chase Briscoe won there in 2016, Dalton Sargent, I really miss that guy in racing, 
one in 2017, Christian Eckes in 18, Chandler Smith in 19, 20, and 22. So uh, pretty dominant there for Chandler Smith. Certainly did finish up strong there as a, in his final season. Now some interesting things to go back to Allison's 1985 win at IRP. That came in a combina- combination race as well, but it was a little different. It was then what was known as the NASCAR Bush Grand National Series, now what we know as the NASCAR Xfinity Series. And Jimmy Hensley was the overall race winner, but it was Allison who finished 16th that was the highest ARCA finisher and credited with that ARCA victory. The Reese's 200 will mark the first time Indianapolis Raceway Park has been part of the ARCA Menard Series East schedule. So uh, that's kind of exciting as well. We talked about Travis Braden. is the only first-time winner at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park when he won his first career series start back in 2015. Also, Ty Gibbs, he holds the track qualifying record that was set in 2019 at 21.820 seconds. And that means he was going 113.181 miles per hour. And it's Brandon Jones who holds the race record, and that was set in 2014 at 1 hour and 33 minutes, 12 seconds, which gave it an average of 88.326 miles per hour. Now, should the race need to be extended into overtime, there will be unlimited attempts at a two-lap green-white checkered finish. Should the caution flag be displayed after the white flag is displayed, there will also be unlimited attempts at a one-lap green-white together finish. So uh, we like to make sure fans know about that uh, because it is a little bit different than what we experience in NASCAR. So definitely looking forward to this race this weekend at uh, Lucas Oil IRP. Well, and we saw that checker, uh, green-white checkered and white checkered come into play at Michigan, and I think if odds are with it, you might see it again here at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. Okay. Also, there's a nice feature about Greg Van Alt's new busy schedule begins with the ARCA race at IRP. Uh, He's back, and uh, he's going to be racing in the Xfinity Series uh, actually, he's got a full-time ride now in the truck series with Young's Motorsports in the number 20. And so he's going to be racing uh, with them this weekend and uh, definitely looking forward to that. I think he's also, yeah, he's on the entry list for the uh, ARCA race as well. So uh, let's see here. Greg Van Alt, that's right. So uh, that's, uh, I'm really excited to see him back in action. Let's go ahead and cover that uh, entry list, Jay. All right. I believe, again, I counted them up 23. Again, this is a combination race, so we got drivers that maybe only run one or the other series. Um, but a total of 23, so that's going to make it interesting when it comes to these points. Uh, And I'll start at the bottom here with the 06 of A.J. Moyer, comes out of Tampa, Florida, driving a Wayne Peterson Toyota, and Nate Moeller as his crew chief. Got Rivers Edge, Connard's RV Park, and JCRPays.com on the side of the car. 
Okay. Mule three is Casey Tartan from Brazelton, California. He's driving the Alex Club Ford this weekend. And Alex is actually on top of the pit box for him in the Club Racing Inc. Ford machines. The zero one is going to be a Hillenburg Chevrolet with Nathan Davis calling the shots. The driver is Brayton Laster out of Greenwood, Indiana with auto repair of VINSTicketers.com. Okay, and the number 98 is Dale Shearer from Alhambra, Illinois. He's driving the uh, Shearer Speed Toyota, and uh, Alex Maliki will be his crew chief. Lynn Station, Virginia is going to be the bring us the driver, the number 95 Mark Noble Toyota, and that's going to be Christopher Martin, Jr. Tony Ponkoskis is the crew chief for that Sunset RV manufacturing machine. Isaac Johnson is behind the wheel of the number 93 from Martinsville, Indiana. He'll be driving the Georgie Booth Company LLC Chevrolet for Caleb Costner and Raleigh Higgins. Higgins will be on top of the pit box. Driver the number 66 comes all the way from Athens, Texas, and that's John Garrett in the Dustin Hillenburg-owned Chevrolet. Mike Shroof calling the shots for the DailyDownforce.com. And in the number 55 for Venturini Motorsports is Tony Bridinger out of Hillsboro, California. She'll be driving that BMS Toyota with Manyan Raman on top of the pit box. One of the staples in the Arkham Menard series is Brad Smith as he brings his own number 48 Chevrolet to drive. Comes out of Shelbyville Township, Michigan. Got Capriah on the side as well and Jeff Smith with him as usual. We mentioned Greg Van Alts being back from Anderson, Indiana. He'll be driving that number 35 CB Fabricating Ferns Concrete Ford this weekend. And Jim Long will be on top of the pit box. And the Kevin Sawinski Ford number 32 has Christian Rose, a regular visitor here to Fan for Racing, comes out of Martinsburg, West Virginia, and carries that West Virginia Department of Tourism sponsorship. And I know Ryan London, his crew chief, is in full support of that as well. Jim Goulet will be on top of the pit box for the Goulet-owned number 31. Rita Goulet from McAllen, Alabama, on top of the pit box. I'm sorry. She'll be behind the wheel for the nationalpolice.org Chevrolet. The number 30 driver comes from the West. Scottsdale, Arizona driver Frankie Munoz in the Mark Rett owned and crew chief to Ford with Ford Performance as their sponsor. Chevrolet is a sponsor for the Chevrolet Web. Luke Dunhouse is behind the wheel of the number 28. He hails from Wausau, India. I'm sorry, Wausau, Wisconsin. And Shane Huffman was on top of his pit box. We've got another Virginia driver out of Fredericksburg, Virginia. Connor Jones in the number 25 for the Venturini uh, Motorsports number 25 Toyota. Going to have Jones Utilities on it. And Caden Lapovich is the crew chief. Shannon Rush is the crew chief for the other Billy Venturini-owned number 20 
Jesse hails from, uh, for Jesse Love, he hails from Redwood City, California. He'll have the familiar JBL on the side of his Toyota. One, one team and driver that's given Love some competition this year when they've crossed past the 18, William Solich, the driver out of Eden Prairie, Minnesota, is in the Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. Matt Ross is the crew chief, and he's got Starkey Sound Gear on the side. Goodwrench is on the side of the Toyota for another Venturini-owned uh, Toyota. That will be driven by... Uh, the number 15 will be driven by Sean Hingarani out in Newport Beach, California. Kevin Reed Jr. sits on top of his pit box. The Hillenburg Toyota number 12 has another Texas driver, D.L. Wilson, out of Mark, Texas, bringing the Ed Thompson racing machine there to Indianapolis with Dick Dohaney in his ear. Another Andy Hillenburg Toyota is driven by Zachary Tinkle. He's from Speedway, Indiana, and will be behind the wheel of the number 11 Racing for Rescues and FastTrackRacing.com Toyota. Todd Parrott sits on his pit box. The other Hillenburg Toyota in in the field is the number 10, going to be driven and crew chiefed by himself, I guess. Tim Monroe comes out of Elmwood, Illinois and brings that UTI, Universal Technical Institute, uh, sponsorship with him. Jay Lupo is on top of the pit box for the Max Siegel Rub Racing-owned Chevrolet, the number six driven by LeVar Scott out of Kearney's Point, New Jersey. And going even further than that, our champion, one of our championship uh, battlers in the Arkham Menard Series is the number two, Andres Perez Duara out of Mexico City, Mexico, with the Max Siegel Incorporated uh, sponsorship on that Max Siegel-owned Chevrolet. Jamie Jones listed as the crew chief. All right. Um, so that is the entry list for the Reese's 200 at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. So uh, a definitely a race for us to look forward to this weekend. But do check out that article about Greg Van Oltz. I'm very happy for him getting that uh, truck series ride uh, with Young's Motorsports. All right, we're going to uh, go move on now because we do have a media interview here from Chase Briscoe. Uh, he is the driver of the number 14, Stuart House Racing Ford. He'll be racing this weekend uh, out at the road course at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And so earlier this week, the media had an interview with him. It's actually, the interview is actually about 13, uh, almost 14 minutes. So we won't be able to hear all of it, but I'll listen. We'll play about seven minutes of it uh, and allow time for Jay and I to have comments afterwards. So here's the interview from Chase Briscoe. Started here, Chase Briscoe, driver the number 14 Mahinda Tractors Ford Mustang. Joining us from his hometown in Mitchell, Indiana this morning as we prepare for the Brickyard this weekend. Uh, we've got a short timeline here, only got about 13, 14 minutes. So let's just kick it off with questions. If you've got one for Chase, raise your hand. Uh, Dustin, I'll kick it off with you. Go ahead, Dustin Long. Thanks. Live from a uh, hotel room in Indianapolis. So. <laughs> hey, uh, a couple of things, Chase. Um, lots to make uh, of the international field here this weekend. Um, obviously, you raced against some of these guys uh, even earlier this year. And I'm just curious, 
do you have much relationship with any of these guys or any experiences or anything kind of stand out with any of these guys? Um, I would say the one that I have the most experience with is probably, probably uh, Brody Kostecki. Um, he's a guy that, you know, growing up, uh, you know, there's this big core group of guys that would play this R-Factor video game on the computer, and we'd race dirt midgets and late models and stuff all the time. Just, you know, me, Christopher Bell, Logan Stevie, um, a ton of just dirt guys, but Brody Kostecki was always on there as well and uh, was always super fast, like always the guy to beat. We, we'd always – joke because he was so fast we'd call him cheat stecky because it was just unbelievable how fast he was all the time so uh i know brody for probably 12 15 years now um i don't know him well but i definitely know him um so he's probably the one i would say i had the most experience with uh you know i have very little experience with the other guys you know van gisbergen um he actually came on our factor as well and raced one night with us uh he probably doesn't remember it at all but um, yeah, I got a little bit of experience with those guys. Outside of them, too, I don't really have experience with any of them. Um, but definitely Kaseki, I, I, you know, fairly well, for sure. Also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you're doing the you're down to do the oval test uh, Monday and Tuesday yep. at, on the Speedway. Uh, obviously, I know you've run it uh, in, the Xfinity, in the Xfinity car, but just the idea of uh, running the cup car on, on the oval and getting that opportunity uh, this after the race weekend. Yeah, it's going to be – cool honestly i think for me just knowing that um you know i'll be one of the first three guys to, to run on the oval with this new next gen car will be um, something that I'm, I'm proud of it's, it's cool to be able to do that um it'll be nice to, to, to stay uh, in indiana for a couple more days but um yeah i'm looking forward to it. it's going to be interesting you know i do think that you know this current car seems to race really well in those styles of racetracks um so yeah it'll be interesting i'm a little nervous about you know what's going to drive like truthfully um, and just if they try different packages and things, what that's going to drive like. But, um, yeah, I'm excited for it. You know, I, I do think that there's a chance that, you know, this car could race really good there if we ever do go back to the Oval. And, and obviously, if we're testing it, I'm sure that's potential down the road. So, um, yeah, just looking forward to the opportunity, and it'll be cool. You know, anytime there's cars on the racetrack at IMS, it's a, it's a good day, and uh, I'm glad that I'm going to be one of the guys driving them. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. All right, thank you, uh, Dustin. Let's go to uh, Mitchell Brewer. Hey, Mitchell. Chase, in the previous couple of years at the uh, road course at Indianapolis, we've seen how chaotic the race can really be. I was just wondering, from a driver's standpoint, is there anything your end where you think that there's any like strategies or anything like that that you could possibly do to avoid the chaos? Um, it's hard. I mean. I feel like you're never safe there, truthfully. I mean, you can be in the front row, you can be in the middle, you can be in the back row. I mean, I think I've wrecked in all, all three of those scenarios. So um, you're never safe there, especially on restarts. You know, that turn one is just such chaos every single time. You know, I do think that uh, with the new format, or I guess we're changing the start-finish line, or not start-finish line, but the restart zone potentially, you know, I think if we do that, it might help turn one a little bit. But you're still going to have chaos just because we're going so fast. You know, that's probably the biggest delta, I feel like, in turn one versus straightaway speed out of any road course we go. Uh, I guess Coda would maybe be close, but, um, you know, Coda's not near as narrow as what Indy is. So um, I just feel like you're always open to chaos there and just calamity every time you have restarts there just with how narrow it is in that section of the racetrack. But, yeah, I don't. I don't know if there's any strategy you can pull necessarily to, to be safe from all that. Thank you. Yep. All right, let's go to Bob. Hey, Bob. 
Yeah, truthfully, I think this year is going to be the most chaotic one just because you have so many good cars uh, that are going to be in desperation mode. You know, you look at the 48, the 99, the, the 9, there's just a ton of really, really good cars that are going to have to win probably to, to get in. So it's going to be probably the most exciting cutoff race I think we've ever had in the history of the sport. Um, and hopefully all of us, you know, come out of that deal safe because there's definitely going to be a lot of, I feel like, really, really aggressive moves and just guys that are, are going to be on the on the rev limiter when it comes to the aggressive meter. Thank you. All right. Uh, a great interview there by Chase Briscoe. He usually gives good interviews. Uh, one thing that stood out for me, Jay, is that he, he kind of confirmed what we talked about Monday night or Monday uh, and that's that uh, even though they're moving the restart line, it doesn't mean it's necessarily going to end the the uh, chaos that happens in those turns. No, and, and he said it. What I found interesting was he said that's not a place where Daytona or Talladega, you kind of see the hang back and stay out of it or be up front and be in front of it. He said there is no safe spot within that because of what they call the accordion effect. I mean, once it starts, there is really no safe zone, and you're no longer uh, can take the outside lane as Ross Chastain did to go around it. Um, so that was kind of interesting. He did say he felt it would help, um, but uh, it's got to go back to putting it on the drivers, as we talked about. You know, they're in control mm-hmm. of it, so they got to handle it. NASCAR's doing a little bit to try and modify it, but um, it's still on the drivers. And I think we all agree that, that it's the right thing for NASCAR to do, but you're right. It's completely up to the drivers in this case. But he mentioned the desperation mode that a lot of these drivers are in. Well, and that that was one of the thoughts I had when we talk about the, the number of different drivers that we have coming in for this race um, that he was asked about initially. I thought it was cool that the connection was through iRacing, that he knew a, a couple of them. Um, mm-hmm. that have either made starts or are going to be making starts. But with three races remaining, you already got drivers into a little bit of desperation mode, if you will, not quite the last moment panic that we'll have at Daytona. But then you also have these road racing veterans or aces, as road ringers, if you want to call them, that are getting their starts or making a second or third start. Um, going to be a really interesting mix when it comes to racing here at the road course at Indianapolis. And then with that, uh, some interesting things he, he noted of doing the test Monday and Tuesday, I believe, on the oval. We know this has been talked about. Um, and then I know he was talking about wanting to put on a good performance, reference back to the tire debacle uh, many years ago. I don't even want to go into that. But with them looking at, at that, I know we talked about if Canada comes into play, that brings another road course. If they take away the Charlotte road course and go back to the oval, that evens it out. So I like the fact that they're looking at this for several reasons. One, it being the brickyard and going back to the oval, this car appears to run better on the tracks now. They're doing the tire test to make sure the tires are good, but also that balance of then what style of tracks we have to try and keep that in check. So I I know we haven't talked much yet about the schedule. There's a lot of things on the table. But I'm excited as we get closer to that announcement as far as what the schedule is going to be next year. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm, uh, really getting excited for that schedule to come out. And it's just about time for that to happen. So um, we'll have to wait and see what happens. 
but uh, I think NASCAR, I have confidence because NASCAR has made some really great changes, and uh, I think you're right. I think this is in anticipation of uh, bringing new road courses into the schedule that they're talking about going back to the Oval, both at Charlotte as well as Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway. So uh, really, really uh, interesting. I'm glad to see that they're doing the road test, uh, the test out at IMS on Monday and Tuesday. And I'm glad to see that uh, Chase Briscoe is part of that. He's an Indiana native. And uh, I think it's great that he gets to spend a little bit of time at home and still uh, get his job done at the same time. Well, and I don't know exactly how they do that when it comes to picking drivers for the test. I know they try to spread that around um, and you get different insight. But I think a big thing, and and this goes to, uh, I know some discussions we've had here at Fan for Racing, NASCAR is watching and listening. Uh, I can't tell you this past, this week how many callers calling into the Sirius XM different radio shows talked about how they used to dread watching Michigan, felt it was kind of a, a snoozer, um, not really great racing, that said this may have been the best Michigan race in a long time, if not ever. Mm-hmm. And, and NASCAR's hearing that and seeing that with this new uh, next-gen car, that it is adapting better to the bigger tracks. They know that it's not as well on the short tracks, and they're working on that. They wanted to do the test at New Loudoun. That didn't uh, work out. I think they did it at Richmond. But now they're following up on it, following a bigger track, a two-mile track. And although Indianapolis is obviously very unique to itself, um, as you mentioned, we don't want to go through the, the tire issue we had there at one time. I think they're ready for this car to go back on the oval. I think so, too. I'm, I'm excited for it. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on now uh, to our preview part of the show for the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Uh, they're back in action, and this is the first race of their playoff. Uh, and so the round of 10 starts with the T-Sport 200 at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park this Friday, August the 11th, starting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, and radio coverage is available at MRN and SiriusXM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing that distance of 137.2 miles over 200 laps. First two stages are 60 laps each. Stage 1 ends on lap 60. Stage 2 on lap 120, and the last stage is 80 laps. That will end on lap 200. So let's go ahead and get started with our truck series preview here. Well, this isn't breaking news at this point, but it is still big news for several reasons. Shane Van Gisbergen is going to attempt his first NASCAR oval debut at Indianapolis. The three-time Australian V8 Supercar champion and winner of the inaugural NASCAR Chicago Street Race, Shane Van Gisbergen plans to pilot the number 41 Worldwide Express Chevrolet for Nice Motorsports at Indianapolis Raceway Park on Friday. Now, the 200-lap truck race would be the Auckland New Zealanders' first oval experience when it comes to NASCAR and kick off a busy double-duty weekend. After the T-Sport 200, Van Gisbergen will make his return to the Cup Series down the road at Indianapolis Motor Speedway on Sunday. 
Now, in July, the 34-year-old became one of the six one of six foreign-born drivers to win a NASCAR Cup Series race, and the first driver since Johnny Rutherford in 1963 to win in his first Cup Series start. So, a lot of storylines right there just under that. So true. Okay, next we're going to go over. I mentioned this is the first race of the uh, Craftsman Truck Series playoff roster. So we're going to go through each of the drivers. We'll start from the bottom up, but I'll kind of set it up here. And then, Jay, you can start with the first driver, number 10. Um, the field for the 23 Craftsman Truck Series playoffs is packed with postseason veterans and several new ones. Eight different teams are represented, along with three of NASCAR's OEMs. Well, all that, of course, includes Chevrolet, Ford, and Toyota. So we'll take a look at the playoff grid as these drivers prepare for the first race in the round of 10 at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park. So starting with number 10. Well, rounding out that 10-driver field uh, for the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series playoff contenders is veteran Matt Crafton. He's going to start at 2,002 points. A seventh-place finish in the regular season finale at Richmond helped the driver, the number 88 Thor Sport Racing Ford, sneak his way into the postseason field. Now, with the experience of uh, three prior titles, 2013, 14, and 19, Crafton is very familiar with the high adrenaline that the playoffs bring. Next up, we have Matt DiBenedetto as the number nine seed at 2,002 points. Uh, so he's actually tied in points here with Matt Crafton. Uh, but after a tough start to the season, the driver of the number 25, Rackley War Chevrolet, raced his way into the playhouse via points. The California native concluded the 23 regular season by finishing inside the top 10 in six of his last seven events. So we'll see what he does uh, in the 10 race playoffs. Entering as the number eight seed with 2,005 points is Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidate and will be winner. Uh, the 2022 Arkham Menard Series champion has taken the Craftsman Truck Series by storm as he leads the field with four poles. Now, although the rookie has not yet seen victory lane, uh, there's no doubt about the speed he possesses. The 22-year-old finished inside the top ten in five of the six regular season season uh regular season races mentioned his name jay his name is nick sanchez all oh, I'm right sorry. Did I miss it? yeah my bad okay let's go back to uh ben rhodes he's the 2021 craftsman truck series champion he enters the playoffs in the number seven seed with 2013 points he's no stranger to the postseason as this is his sixth playoff appearance. The 26-year-old Ben Rhodes secured his spot with one win at Charlotte in, in 16 starts this season. The driver of the number 99, Thor Sport Racing Ford, has 10 top 10 finishes and 88 laps led. Well, to make sure I don't make that mistake again, we'll start with the name Ty Majeski. He's the number six seed, going to be a, uh, starting with 2014 points uh three points behind fifth place grant enfinger driver the number 98 thor sport racing ford he was the first driver to lock himself into the playoffs via points and the wisconsin Na- wisconsin native 
has had a knack for high finishes this season. His seven top top five finishes are tied for second among the entire Craftsman Truck Series field, while his 11 top tens finishes at the rank of second as well. Okay, moving up the ladder here to the number five seed, Grant Enfinger enters the playoffs two points behind the Eckies with 2,017 points. His steady performance is week in and week out. The driver of the number 23 GMS Racing Chevrolet has only failed to crack the top 15 twice, both before May. Uh, With two wins, he won at Kansas and also at St. Louis. He secured his playoff spot. And Finger will look to continue his consistency into the postseason and lock into the playoffs early. He's the only driver in the field that has won at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park, and that win came in 2022. And the driver of the number 19 McAnally Hilderman Racing Chevrolet, Christian Eckes, he heads into the playoffs at the number four seed with 2,019 points. Now, it didn't take Eckes long to mesh with this new team. The 22-year-old raced his way into his third playoffs after securing two wins, coming at Atlanta and Darlington. The New York natives' four stage wins are tied for second among the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series field. So you know he's running up front. But somebody who has momentum coming into these playoffs he sits at 2,021 points. Carson Hosevar of Nice Motorsports enters in the, as the number three seed. The third-year driver has been in the playoffs since his rookie season in 2020, piloting the number 42 Nice Motorsports Chevrolet. Hosevar leads the truck series with three wins at Texas, Nashville, and Richmond, and the Michigan native held an impressive streak of five consecutive top five finishes, the longest of his career, during his stint uh, from Darlington to Nashville. So uh, he's carrying the momentum coming into these playoffs. It'll be fun to see what he does uh, in the next 10 races. Well, I'm heading into the playoffs at number two seed. He's got the defending NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series champion, as his uh, momentum, and that's Zane Smith with 2,022 points. The 24-year-old swept both the regular season and postseason titles last year. Now, like Himes, Smith has reached the playoffs with two wins. They came at Daytona and Coda. Driver the number 38 Front Row Motorsports Ford has become the first repeat winner at Coda, and made the Front Row Motorsports a perfect three-for-three in the Craftsman Truck Series races at the famed road course after he took the reins from Todd Gillen. With eight top-five finishes, that leads the Craftsman Truck Series field. Okay, our number one seed is the 2023 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series regular season champion, Corey Heim. He enters the playoff in that number one seed with 20,000 or 2000, the driver of the number 11, Tricon Garage Toyota, is in his first year with his new team and has gone without a significant hitch, securing two wins at Martinsville and Mid-Ohio to lock him into the playoffs. 
Despite missing the race at Gateway because of illness, the Marietta, Georgia native leads the Craftsman Truck Series field with 408 laps led, 13 top 10 finishes, and five stage wins. This is Heim's first playoff appearance. So I can't wait to see what happens. I put that on our Hot Topic conversation for today as well uh, so that we can kind of get a perspective from our team uh, on who we think might take the championship there. And I think we're going to have a lot of different opinions on that because there's definitely some possibilities there. <laughs> but now you mentioned uh, one driver having a win at Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis Raceway Park, and that's because they're returning there for just the second time since 2011. The track will play host to a playoff race for only the second time in NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series history. Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park is the fifth track to open the playoffs along with New Hampshire Motor Speedway, which did in 2016 and 17, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park in 2018, Bristol Motor Speedway did it in 2019 and 2020, and then Worldwide Technology Raceway in 2021. Now, this historic track houses a 0.68-mile paved oval located in Claremont, Indiana, but the original intent was to design a 15-turn, 2.5-mile road course. And going back to 1995, the inaugural Craftsman Truck Series race at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park was won by Mike Skinner piloting that number three Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet. Skinner went on to win the series championship that same year. Since the Craftsman Truck Series inception in 95, the famed Oval has hosted 18 races. In that span, there's been 13 different pole winners and 13 different race winners. NASCAR Hall of Famer Ron Hornaday Jr. leads the Craftsman Truck Series and wins with four victories, coming in 97, 2007, 09, and then again in 10. And through those 18 previous events at IRP, the Craftsman Truck Series, only twice has the winner come from a starting position outside of the top five. In 2011, Timothy Peters started 16th, and Johnny Benson Jr. started 8th in 2008. The pole winner, though, has gone on to win five of the 18 races. In addition, the winner started on the front row eight separate times. So pole qualifying will surely be key for the 10 drivers who begin their playoff run for the 2023 NASCAR Craftsman Chuck Series Championship starting this weekend. Okay. The Chuck Series playoffs are set for Lucas Oil IRP. After a week off, uh, the playoffs are set to get underway this weekend for the T-Sport 200 on Friday night. Now, the 2023 season will mark the eighth running of the Truck Series playoffs since 2016, since the inception of that format. Seven different drivers have hoisted the trophy, Johnny Sauter in 16, Chris Bell, Christopher Bell in 17, Brett Moffat in 18, Matt Crafton in 19, Sheldon Creed in 20, Ben Rhodes in 21, or Zane Smith just last year. The structure of the Truck Series playoffs will remain the same as years past, a seven-race, three-round elimination format. The Truck Series will cap off their season in conjunction with the Xfinity Series and Cup Series at Phoenix Raceway for the Championship 4 finale. Now, characteristics of the playoff include 
The number of championship drivers in contention for the truck series will decrease after every three playoff races. From 10 to start the playoffs to eight after race three and four after race six. The three races in the playoffs from 17 to 19 will be known as the round of 10. Races 20 to 22 will be known as the round of eight. And the race number 23 is the championship four round. A win by a championship eligible driver in any playoff race automatically clinches a winning driver spot in the next round. The four drivers entered in the Truck Series Championship with a chance at the title with the highest finisher among those four capturing the championship at Phoenix. Round of 10 races are at Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park, the Milwaukee Mile, and Kansas Speedway. And if the driver wins a race in that round, they automatically advance to the round of eight. The remaining available positions, one through eight, that have not been filled by wins will be filled in on points. Each advancing contender will then have their points reset to 3,000 plus any playoff points awarded uh, to to that point are added. The round of eight races are at Bristol Motor Speedway, Talladega Super Speedway, Homestead Miami Speedway, and likewise, uh, if a driver in the top eight in points wins a race in that round, they had automatically advanced to the championship four. The remaining positions that are not filled by wins are filled in by points. Each advancing playoff contender will then have their points reset to 4,000. Again, um, each eliminated driver will return to the playoff start base at 2,000 plus any awarded playoff points and their accumulated points starting with race number 17 added. This will allow all drivers not in contention for the Craftsman Truck Series title to continue to race for their best possible season-long standing, and the final positions, 5th through 10, are up for grabs. So um, it's going to be fun to see who the final four are heading into uh, Phoenix Raceway. We're going to move on to the Xfinity Series. They'll race the Pennzoil 150 presented by Advanced Auto Parts at Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course this Saturday, August the 12th, starting at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. At 5 p.m., USA will have the pre-race coverage as well as uh, radio coverage on IMS and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing a distance of 151.22 miles over 62 laps. First two stages are 20 laps apiece. Stage one ends on lap 20, stage two on lap 40. The last lap is 22 laps, ending on lap 62. So what do we have in the Xfinity Series, Jay? Got a little bit of that crossover going on as we got Connor Daly to run the Xfinity Series race at Indianapolis. He's an IndyCar veteran, Connor Daly. He'll be making his first Xfinity Series start of the 2023 season this weekend at Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. He'll be behind the wheel of the number 44 Alpha Prime Racing Chevrolet. Now, the Indiana native has made his debut in the Xfinity Series back in 2018 at Road America. He has since made starts in both the Cup Series and Craftsman Truck Series, with his most recent start in the Truck Series a few weeks ago at Mid-Ohio, where he finished 18th. The Xfinity Series race at IMS will be his first stock car stint on the road course, though. 
Okay. If you watched uh, the Xfinity Series last race last week, you saw John Hunter Nemechek striking again. Joe Gibbs Racing uh, driver John Hunter Nemechek is running his first full-time Xfinity Series schedule since the 2019 season and managed to land his car in victory lane for the fifth time this season uh, last weekend at Michigan. His other wins have come at Auto Club, Martinsville, Atlanta, and New Hampshire. Nemechek is currently tied with RCR's Austin Hill on points, but he owns the tiebreaker with his five wins to Hill's four. He has done well on a few road courses this season. He finished 10th at Portland and runner-up in the inaugural Chicago Street Race just last month. The Mooresville, North Carolina native is looking to keep his hot streak alive this weekend as he makes his debut on the Indianapolis road course. He's posted five wins, 11 top fives, 16 top tens, and has led 662 laps so far this season. Well, we've got a little more time in the Xfinity Series, but that playoff picture is starting to take shape as we look at some clinch scenarios. And things are definitely heating up here in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Drivers now have five chances left to race their way into the playoffs that will kick off for them on my birthday, Friday, September 15th, at Bristol Motor Speedway. Now, drivers can secure their spot into the playoffs by the virtue of wins, but they must also finish out the regular season and clinch their spot. They can, and I'm sorry, uh, finish out the regular season and clinch a spot on points. So we'll take a look at drivers who have mathematically clinched their spot as we head into this weekend's Pennzoil 150 presented by Advanced Auto Parts at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course. Uh, clinched via wins, the drivers, okay, I'm sorry, the drivers that have clinched via, via wins in the 12-driver postseason mentioned John Hunter Nemechek, Austin Hill, and Cole Custer. Drivers that can clinch a spot okay, with the um, Also Sam Mayer, Chandler Smith, and Sam, or Sammy Smith. Yeah, this is listed under the can, but you're right. They already have. Uh, you mentioned Nemechek, Hill, Custer, Mayer, Chandler Smith, and Sammy Smith. Um, so with the win, Justin Allgaier uh, would clinch regardless of the finish uh, for those drivers if they pick up another victory. Uh, a driver that could clinch uh, with a previous win by Josh Berry, Daniel Hemrick, Riley Hurt, Sheldon Creed, Parker Kligerman, or Justin Berry, that would be Justin Algar if he's up uh, with 36 points. Now, if the win were to come by Brandon Jones, then Algar would clinch with 11 points. And if the win comes by Brett Moffat or a driver lower than him in the standings, then Justin Algar would clinch regardless of his finish. Uh, Algar, Mayer, Smith, Sam, uh, Chandler Smith, Sammy Smith, and Jeb Burton would certainly clinch with another victory uh, as they each already have won. When we look at the regular season championship, this is really interesting. Uh, Sharon talked about it already. John Hunter Nemechek has five wins at 811 points, but is tied with Austin Hill in second second place. 
Now, they cannot clinch the regular championship, regular season championship, since there are still 300 points and those five wins available. So that one's going to go down to the wire, I think. It's, it's kind of makes it exciting that those guys are so close in their stats. We're double-duty drivers this weekend. Some Cup Series drivers love the Indianapolis Bricks so much that they want to give themselves two chances to take the checkered flag and kiss the Bricks this weekend. They include A.J. Allmendinger, Ty Gibbs, and Ross Chastain. Now, Allmendinger is piloting the number 10 college racing Chevrolet for his fifth Xfinity Series start this season. Three of his four previous starts were on road courses. He finished first at Coda. Sonoma, he finished second. Road America, he finished ninth. He's made all three starts at the Indianapolis Road Course in the Xfinity Series and has only gotten a better every time that he started. He posted a fourth-place finish in the inaugural race in 2020, a runner-up finish in 21, and then snagged the checkered flag in 2022. The 2022 NASCAR Xfinity Series champion, Ty Gibbs is making his seventh Xfinity Series start of the season behind the wheel of the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. Two of Xfinity Series starts this season were on the road course. At Coda, he finished third. Sonoma, he had a fourth-place finish, and he made two starts at the road course in Indianapolis, posting a 19th-place finish and an eighth-place finish. Chastain is making his fifth Xfinity Series start this season behind the wheel of the number 91 Chevrolet for DGM Racing. He made one road course Xfinity Series start this season at Sonoma, where he finished 18th. He's made two series starts at the Indianapolis road course, posting a sixth-place finish in 2020 and a fourth-place finish in 2022. We'll see what he does this weekend. And as we mentioned, right now at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, we're back for some road course action. We'll see how that changes in the future. But right now, the NASCAR Xfinity Series will once again make left and right turns this weekend for the Pennzoil 150 presented by Advanced Auto Parts at the IMS Road Course. Indianapolis Motor Speedway has hosted the NASCAR Xfinity Series three times on this road course configuration. Our interview today or this afternoon, Chase Briscoe won the inaugural race back in 2020. I was followed by Austin Sendrick in 2021 and A.J. Allmendinger in 2022. Allmendinger is the only previous winner entered into this weekend's Penzo 150 presented by Advanced Auto Parts. Known as a road course ringer, it's no surprise that Allmendinger has already set records on the Indianapolis road course. He set the race record last season with a speed of 77.825 miles per hour, has won both poles at the track. Uh, Qualifying was canceled in 2020 in the inaugural race due to the pandemic. Now, the NASCAR Xfinity Series drivers will fire up their engines. They'll have practice at 9.35 a.m. Eastern time and qualifying at 10.05 a.m. Eastern time. That'll be on Saturday, August 12th. It'll be covered on the NBC Sports app as well as IMS Radio. All right. We'll go ahead and move on now to the NASCAR Cup Series. The Verizon 200 at the Brickyard takes place 
at the road course at Indianapolis Motor Speedway Sunday, August the 13th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. NBC will carry pre-race coverage starting at 2 p.m. along with IMS Radio and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be covering a distance of 199.998 miles over 82 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 15, stage 2 on lap uh, 35 for 20 laps, and the final stage will end on lap 82. So uh, what do we have in the Cup Series, Jay? I know there's a lot to cover here. Well, we got a return of the NASCAR Holler Parade for the Brickyard Weekend. Uh, It'll be returning for the first time since 2019, but the NASCAR Holler Parade will kick off a Brickyard Weekend at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Haulers will drive down on Main Street in the Speedway in Speedway in an epic display of color and excitement that'll be later on today, 5 p.m. Eastern Time this evening. And the drive down Main Street signifies the return of NASCAR to Indianapolis and marks the beginning of one of the most highly anticipated weekends in global motorsports. And that is this Brickyard weekend here, the 11th through the 13th. Oh. Hey, look for the road course aces, NASCAR best at road racing. Uh, Cup Series drivers this weekend will be challenged by the twists and turns of the road course at Indianapolis Motor Speedway this weekend. And several drivers are still looking for their first win of the season, including Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott, who leads all active drivers in road course wins with seven. Elliott is already considered one of the early favorites for this weekend, but keep an eye on two, on the two most recent winners on road courses, Shane Van Gisbergen, who won at Chicago, and the current points leader, Martin Truex Jr., winning at Sonoma, as both will most certainly be in the mix this weekend as well. Chase Elliott has uh, seven total wins on road courses. Martin Truex is second with five. And then Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson both have four. Tyler Reddick has three. Kevin Harvick, A.J. Allmendinger, and Christopher Bell all have two road course wins. And then Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, Denny Hamlin, Daniel Suarez, Ross Chastain, and Shane Van Gisbergen all have the one road course win. Cup Series has competed on three road courses this season so far. 23-11 racing Tyler Reddick one at in Austin on at Coda, Truex won the Sonoma race, and Van Gisbergen at Chicago. If Chase Elliott were to win this weekend, he would tie NASCAR Hall of Famer Tony Stewart with eight road course wins for second on the NASCAR Cup Series all-time road course wins list, behind only NASCAR Hall of Famer Jeff Gordon, who holds the record with nine road course victories. So, a lot to look forward to there. Well, and it isn't just about road course racing for Martin Truex Jr. as he's in high gear with three races to go in the regular season. Driving for Joe Gibbs Racing, Truex Jr. has shifted into high gear late here in the regular season and leaving his competitors in the dust. The current NASCAR Cup Series driver standings point leader, Truex holds a 57-point advantage over his teammate, Denny Hamlin, in second, and now 96 points up on Hendrick Motorsports' William Byron, who sits in third. 
In other good news, uh, Truex announced he'll be returning to JGR in the number 19 Toyota team next season, which isn't surprising after the year he is having. In 26 starts this season, Truex has collected three race wins, five stage wins, nine top fives, and 13 top tens. Now, looking to Indianapolis, Truex will look to improve, though, on his first two appearances at the 2.439-mile road course, where he's posted a 21st in 2021 and a 15th in 2022. Okay. Speaking of uh, drivers, uh, let's uh, take a look at Tyler Reddick. He's ready for another date with the Bricks. One of the special moments afforded the winner of the NASCAR Cup Series at Indianapolis Motor Speedway is the ceremony of kissing the bricks at that start-finish line, a tradition that was actually started by NASCAR Hall of Famer Dale Jarrett in 1996. Last year, while driving for RCR, Tyler Reddick won the Cup Series race on the road course at Indianapolis and got his first chance at applying that big kiss to the to them rubber-laden, fuel-soaked bricks. Now, with his new team, 2311 Racing, Reddick returns to Indianapolis looking for a second win of the season and back-to-back victories at Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course. This season, Reddick is ranked 13th in the driver's standings, but he secured his spot into the playoffs with his win and Austin, Texas, at Coda, and this season, the California native has put up one win, six top fives, and nine top tens. His two, two starts at Indianapolis's road course, he's posted one win and an average finish of 11.0. Definitely another one of those drivers to watch this weekend. Well, and we're going to have a whole list of drivers here to watch this weekend as we have a mixture, whoops, uh, a stacked field, road aces from different series that are joining NASCAR here at Indianapolis. When we look at this weekend's NASCAR Cup Series entry list, there are some names you don't see often, but are definitely well-known in the racing community. Shane Van Gisbergen, Mike Rockenfeller, Kamui Kaboshiashi, Brody Kosteski, Andy Lally, and Jensen Button are all entered in the Verizon 200 at the Brickyard on Sunday. So we'll start with Trackhouse Racing, Shane Van Gisbergen. He's a 34-year-old from Auckland, New Zealand. He became a household name in America Motorsports after grabbing that victory in the inaugural Chicago Street Race in the very first uh, NASCAR, in his first NASCAR Cup Series start. Gisbergen with the crew chief Darren Grubb will be back this weekend with Trackhouse Racing Project 91 team. Gisbergen is a three-time Australian V8 Supercar champion. Now, also the next announced one, this week, uh, I'll, I'll take the next one. Also okay. announced this week is the two-time Le Mans winner, Mike Rockenfeller, driving that number 42 uh, Legacy Motorsports Chev- Legacy Motor Club Chevrolet in place of the suspended Noah Gregson. He's a 38-year-old from Altenau, Switzerland, and he's making his third career Cup Series start this weekend in his first two series starts. He finished 30th at Watkins Glen and 29th at the Charlotte Roval. 
Rockefeller did most of the car development for the NASCAR and Hendrick Motorsports in the Garage 56 project that competed in the Le Mans earlier this year. Now, much like Trackhouse Racing, Team 2311 Racing, they're going to be fielding a third car this weekend, and piloting that number 67 Toyota will be Kamui Kaboshiashi from Omagasaki, Japan. He's a 35-year-old former Formula One driver and IMSA sports car competitor, as he'll be attempting to make his NASCAR Cup Series debut this weekend at Indianapolis. Kaboshiashi will be working with Crew Chief Eric Phillips this weekend. Racing is building a third car this weekend. Joining the fold is the number 33 Chevrolet and Australia V8 supercar driver Brody Kostecki. Kostecki won from Perth. Kostecki is from Perth in Western Australia and is not completely foreign to racing in the state. He made 16 starts in what is now called the Arkham Menard Series East from 2013 to 14, posting two poles at Iowa and Watkins Glen, and the best finish of fifth at Dover. Now, one team stacking their roster this weekend is Rick Ware Racing. They locked up two road aces for Indianapolis in former NASCAR Cup Series Rookie of the Year and IMSA sports car winner Andy Lally and Formula One World Champion in 2009, that's Jensen Button. Now, Button will pilot the Rick Ware Racing number 15 Chevrolet this weekend at Indianapolis, while Lally will jump behind the wheel of the number 51. Button is from England, also participated in that Garage 56 project. This weekend will be his third career Cup Series uh, start. In his first two appearances earlier this season, he put up an 18th place finish at Austin and 21st at Chicago. Lally will be making his third start of the season this weekend as well. His first two starts, he finished 35th at Sonoma and 26th at Chicago. Okay, let's talk about clinch scenarios uh, for race number 24. Only three races left at Indianapolis, Watkins, Glen, and Daytona. And it's time to break out the calculators and start hammering down with those numbers to see who needs what. Uh, 12 drivers to clinch their spot uh, in the 16-driver field based on wins. That's Martin Truex Jr., Denny Hamlin, Byron, Bell, Larson, Chastain, Kyle Busch, Blaney, Busher, Joey Logano, Tyler Reddick, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Now, if there's a repeat winner or a win by a driver who cannot advance in the playoffs, these drivers can clinch by being 111 points above the third winless driver in the standings. Uh, so that would be Kevin Harvick. Uh, it can clinch with 44 points or Brad Kowalski with 54 points. Uh, now, these drivers can all clinch with the win alone. Uh, Brian, uh, that would include Harvick, Keselowski, Wallace, Ty Gibbs, Michael McDowell, Daniel Suarez, uh, A.J. Allmendinger, Bowman, Sendrick, Chase Elliott, Haley, Alamarola, Priest, LaJoy, Todd Gilliland, Eric Jones, Austin Dillon, Harrison Burton, Chase Briscoe, and Ty Dillon. Uh, but they all need that win in order to get in. 
Well, and that's where Chase Briscoe's talked about in his interview, that intensity and uh, desperation starting to set in. And some of that is based on playoff streaks that are in jeopardy. Uh, several drivers need that win to get into the postseason. When we look at the NASCAR Cup Series 2023 playoff standings, several big names are below that cut line. And with just those three races remaining in the regular season, that pressure is on to earn a spot in the postseason as that continues to mount. As we roll into this weekend at Indianapolis, three former NASCAR Cup Series champions, Kevin Harvick, Brad Keselowski, and Chase Elliott, and then another eight of former playoff drivers, Michael McDowell, Daniel Suarez, Alex Bowman, Austin Sindrick, Eric Almarola, Eric Jones, Austin Dillon, and our interview, Chase Briscoe. Plus, we got another three former Cup Series winners, of Bubba Wallace, A.J. Allmendinger, and Justin Haley uh, make up the 20-driver field that are eligible competitors still looking for their spot in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs for 2023. Yeah, focus on just drivers. Yep. Uh, We talked about the ones that are in on the win, so we're going to drop down to 13th place is where Kevin Harvick is at 663. He's 180 points above the cut line. Keselowski still is in a good spot as well, 168 points up. But 15th place, Bubba Wallace, is only 58 points to the good. 16th, the final cutoff spot, Ty Gibbs, rookie Ty Gibbs, is three points to the good. He's got Michael McDowell right there with him, as well as Daniel Suarez, who's five points out. A.J. Allmendinger at minus 24. That's about where you're looking at as far as points. Must win, I think you're looking at 20th place. Alex Bowman, 44 points back. Sindrick is 53 back. Chase Elliott, 55 back. Justin Haley, down, definitely need a win. 72 back for Haley. Eric Almarola is minus 81. Ryan Priest, minus 89. Corey LaJoy at 107 back. Todd Gillen, 108. Eric Jones, minus 121. Austin Dillon, 145. Harrison Burton, minus 163. Chase Briscoe at minus 197. And then Ty Dillon, minus 266. Now, again, the drivers must compete in every race to be eligible for the playoffs or granted the waiver by NASCAR. So there's four drivers currently occupying the four open transfer spots in the outlook. Are Harvick at plus 180. You've already covered those points. So right. go to the uh, other part of it. Har- Say again? I, I said you already covered the point, so just go to the other part of the paragraph. Uh, that's okay. Um, Harvick has you made a 60 Harvick is up for 180 points. Yeah. Harvick having made what I'm saying is when you covered the section above, you indicated what points deficits were or pluses. So we can skip that part here. (laughs) Talking about the uh, streaks that could possibly be ending, uh, Harvick has made 16 appearances in the playoffs, and that ties him with Denny Hamlin for this series most including the last 13 postseasons consecutively. 
which is the longest active streak of consecutive appearances. Um, Front row motorsports, Michael McDowell dropped out of the 16th spot into 17th. Again, he's now three points behind Joe Gibbs Racing's rookie, Ty Gibbs. And that was after his 24th place finish at Michigan. Behind McDowell, we have former road course winners, Trackhouse Racing's Daniel Suarez in 18th, five points out. And then A.J. Almanier, who's minus 24, but he won the Indianapolis road course in 2021. But that biggest name uh, below the playoff cut line and approaching a must-win situation is 2021 NASCAR Cup Series champion and Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott. Uh, 55 points back, Elliott's streak of seven consecutive playoff appearances is in jeopardy with just these three races to go in the regular season. Now, Elliott's two starts at the Indianapolis Road Course, he finished fourth in 2021 and 16th in 2022. Now, the Cup Series season takes a turn in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's road course this weekend with just those three races left. Uh, So that will take place on Sunday. Uh, IMS has existed since 1909 and is considered the original speedway, the first racing facility to incorporate the word into its name. With a permanent seating capacity of more than 250,000 plus, people uh, infield seating that raises capacity to an approximate 400,000. It is considered the largest and highest capacity sporting facility in history. The road course was completed in 2000 and is in, it incorporated part of the famous four-turn oval The original length upon completion of the road course measured 2.605 miles, and in 2008 and again in 2014, the road course layout was modified to improve competition. This weekend's event will compete on a 14-turn, 2.438-mile page version of the road course. The first Cup Series race at Indianapolis Oval was August 6th of 94, and Hendrick Motorsports driver Jeff Gordon in a Chevrolet won that inaugural event on the five-mile speedway. The Cup Series made its historical debut on the 14-turn 2.439 asphalt-paved road course at Indianapolis in 21, with 40 competitors battling out for 200 miles or 82 laps. It was Colleague Racing's road course ace, A.J. Allmendinger, who nabbed the checkered flag in the inaugural event by passing Joe Gibbs Racing's Denny Hamlin and leading just the final two laps in route to his victory. Then last year, the race at the road course was just as exciting as the first with nine lead changes, and Tyler Reddick, then driving for RCR, taking the victory by 1.065 seconds over Austin Sendrick in overtime. This weekend's Verizon 200 at the Brickyard is scheduled for 82 total laps, broken into the three stages, and uh, all the on-track activity will begin with practice directly followed by the Bushlight pole qualifying on Saturday at 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Both events will be streamed on the NBC Sports app, uh, also known as Peacock. Okay, we're at the top of the hour. That means it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. 
And uh, let's go ahead and introduce our fan for racing crew here. We've got uh, Mike Orzell is here. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hello. Good afternoon. Glad to be back. So we have Andy Alaski on board. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, hope you're all doing well today. Absolutely. And uh, we're expecting Brian Eberly to come on here momentarily. Since we have a full house, I think I'm just going to be the moderator for today's Hot Topics. I won't give an opinion unless I feel compelled to do so. But uh, I'm going to let the guys pretty much have at it in our Hot Topics here tonight. Mike, uh, why don't you go first? Well, we might as well get to the the big follow-up from the, the big topic that we had on Tuesday. This morning it was announced that Noah Gregson had requested to be released from his contract at Legacy Motor Club. And shortly thereafter, Cal Wells, the president of LMC, uh, released a statement basically wishing Noah well and acknowledging that, yes, LMC and Noah Gregson have officially parted ways now. All right. So with that, um, we also have joining us for Hot Topics, uh, Brian Everly. Uh, Brian, we brought up our first Hot Topic, uh, but first of all, I do want to say hello. Hey, how's it going? I hope you guys are all having a good Thursday. And, yeah, I think that's kind of probably the hottest topic of the week with the Gregson and earlier in the week when an outlet reported that he had been released and others saying, no, he had not been, and now it's saying it was his decision, I mean, really knows I guess at the end of the day what was what obviously we talked last week on the show kind of setting that you know there were kind of the rumors that he might get being replaced by JHN or somebody else um heading into next year so maybe that's just you know working out a little earlier than people intended but unfortunate situation I think for everyone involved I mean I think I don't know about everyone else I know there's Gregson haters and Gregson fans I've always enjoyed him and liked him I remember interviewing him back when he was running the K9 East and West series back at Iowa Speedway and probably 2014, 2015, a long time ago. So um, tough situation, I think, for everybody involved. It'll be interesting to kind of see where he lands, and maybe that's something we'll even debate today, um, where, where he might go in 2024. Okay. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, it's just such a perplexing situation, really, you know, and I think that this kind of further adds to the level of complexion that we've seen this week um, with regards to the situation, you know, it's it just still to me a bit mind boggling, um, you know, to have a driver and a team part ways following an incident like this. And, and we can all understand the severity of the situation, but, you know, I'm not sure that it warranted a parting, a parting of ways like this, you know, so it's um, certainly a, a tough situation. Like Brian said, um, and you hope that, you know, wherever Noah lands on the other side of this, that it winds up being a positive outcome. Um, I can only speculate that there's more to the story that we don't know. And I've seen a lot of that being said on, uh, you know, social media platforms too. We're never going to know probably the full story, but um, you just hope that something positive comes out of it. And, and I guess we'll have to wait and see where Noah goes and, and where the team goes for next year. Okay. Your thoughts? Well, I don't know what's been going on on social media because I'm afraid to get on it and uh, lose my job because I clicked on the wrong thing. But, uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, We knew this was coming, though. There were rumors about the separation between the two already a couple weeks prior to this. And the more that has come out this week, which I don't think is the full story, as both Andy and Brian said, I think there is still more to it that we may never know. 
But I think this was going to happen regardless. It's just unfortunate the way it came about and the way it's been handled, in my opinion. But I do think that uh, Gregson is going to come out the better for it. It's a growing opportunity. He owned his mistake, uh, first off. But as I listen throughout the week on SiriusXM Radio, there's a lot of people that say that he really does have a Chevrolet contract. It wasn't just with Legacy Motorsports, but a Chevrolet contract. And we know that John Hunter Nemechek is pretty much under the Toyota banner. So I think that's what really comes into play. They were just sorting through how to go about it, and it happened to come about in this way and fashion that they were able to, I guess, capitalize, take advantage of it in part ways now, um, which the way it sounds was probably the best for, for both sides anyway, as they weren't, didn't seem to be on the same page anyhow. Yeah, I think that uh, that that does provide the clarification that we were looking for. But I'm just glad that uh, the announcement came out from Legacy Motor Club. I'm glad that Noah uh, is kind of taking the higher road here, all things said, uh, by uh, requesting to be released by Legacy Motor Club so that he can complete his uh, reinstatement uh, process. And uh, I think that I think the big mistake here is lack of communication overall from the very beginning that left a lot of speculation from a lot of people. And um, I, I, I'm glad to have some of that at least clarified. Mike, what are your thoughts? As far as Noah requesting his release, I'm not sure how much that was actually Noah's idea. I'm sure we're, we're all aware of the kind of the, the, the company, not just in the NASCAR industry, but just in general. It's common to ask an employee to resign as opposed to being publicly fired over something that is going to get you out the door one way or the other. But the idea here is it looks better on the employee to resign from a position mm-hmm. as opposed to being fired against their will. So, I'm not going to read too much into Noah requesting to be released. I don't know that that was necessarily his idea. This is just speculation on my part. I'm not privy to any sort of discussion there. But just want to throw that out there. Of let's, let's not immediately jump to the conclusion that this was Noah Gregson's idea and it was some sort of a noble jumping onto a sword or anything like this. This very well might have been he was asked to resign or else we will fire you kind of a thing. Again, speculation on my part. I just want to throw that out there. The big thing I've got an issue with is – on, on Tuesday and again today, we're talking about, well, there might, there, there's got to be something else there. If there is, tell us. We need to know this because right now this looks terrible for NASCAR. The optics are horrible. And I understand this is a Noah Grayson issue and this is an LMC issue. But the headlines that are circulating right now is NASCAR driver suspended over a meme. And that was the, that's the headlines that were circulating. Free Noah, hashtag free Noah, was trending on Twitter on Tuesday and Wednesday, all because the perception here, whether it's true or not, the perception here is Noah Gregson has now lost his job simply because he liked a distasteful meme on social media. So if there is more to it, I think NASCAR and, and LMC would do very well to be a little bit more forthcoming with information of, no, it's not just this. The performance wasn't what we wanted, or Noah did something else, came into work, got into a confrontation, whatever it was. If there is more to this other than him losing his job for liking a meme on social media, 
NASCAR and LMC really need to do some damage control for their image on this because they're losing the PR battle on this one. I think that the, the look on this is, is much more negative for NASCAR than it is for Noah Gregson. It looks like an overreaction. It looks like an overly politicized move. And I think Noah Gregson is going to come on the other side of this looking much, much better than the two organizations that he has lost his opportunity with. Your follow-up? Sorry, you cut out there. Were you throwing it back to me, Sharon? Yes, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I think Jay said it best. I'm kind of with him. It's like you don't even want to fire up social media anymore these days because someone's going to be upset or offended about something. It seems like it's just insane to think that we're sitting here talking about someone who lost their job or something like that. I'm by no means justifying the meme he liked or saying that I think it was funny or anything like that. Yeah, probably not the best thing to like, but I looked at my own thing. I've liked 15,800 tweets in the 12 years I've been on Twitter. And sometimes I like something that's just stupid or ridiculous because I want to show it to somebody else later in the day and show how it's stupid or ridiculous. So, again, you got to think there's got to be something more there. If this is really what it comes down to, I, I mean, I just think that's super silly, for lack of a better term, or saying something inappropriate. Um, but, like, it just it just seems insane to me that – Someone lost their top-level NASCAR Sprint Cup Series ride because of liking a liking a tweet on Twitter. Like, this is the world we live in now, I guess. Anyway, I won't get on that rant uh, too long, but I, I agree. I think, like, if there's something more there, they got to say it. If not, then, you know, it is what it is, I guess. But, yeah, the headlines, and especially when people outside the NASCAR realm pick stuff up, it just kind of runs rampant with stuff. And I, I think that – kind of the sad effect of all this is it's just going to lead to what's already been happening for years anyway. And it's just it, drivers themselves aren't really going to be on Twitter interacting or any form of social media interacting. I mean, I think a lot of people would be surprised how little a lot of drivers are actually posting their own social content anymore in the first place. I remember in 20, 2011 when I joined Twitter, just how cool the place it was. Drivers interacted, team people interacted. You, that's how I met a lot of people that I know in motorsports. And honestly, how I started writing stuff was from Twitter in 2011. It's definitely changed. I know I personally spend a lot, lot, lot less time on it, which is probably a good thing at the end of the day. I set up a few lists and I, you know, have notifications turned on for a few important important people with news I'm going to want to see, but I probably spend a, a tenth of the time on Twitter now as I did four or five years ago. You know, I just, I just have to feel like that Noah's potentially going to come out the other side of this um, in a better position, you know, it's no secret that his rookie season in the 42 car has been dismal. Um, it's really, you know, the only word to describe this year. And, you know, with the impending move to Toyota next year with Gregson, as has already been mentioned, tied to Chevrolet, you have to think that this move was inevitable. And, and it almost, to me, seems like this particular situation was a was a, an excuse to, to make the deal happen sooner than later. Um, but I do think that, um, you know, Gregson was probably out of this car at season's end. And I, and I don't, you know, I said this on Tuesday, I'm not sure that was going to be fair to him anyway, whether this particular incident happened or not, because, you know, it's tough for anybody, you know, unless you're Jimmy Johnson or, you know, Jeff Gordon, it's tough to come into the cup series as a rookie and run well. And even I think Gordon, it took him a few years to get going you know, so for a driver to to be out of a ride after one season as a rookie isn't fair to the driver. Um, you know, so it just all around just seemed like maybe it wasn't the right fit for him to begin with. You know, and 
sometimes driver and team situations work great and they lead to a long lasting relationship and sometimes they just don't and and I think that's the case here and you know maybe Noah can you know go back to Xfinity for a year or two and, and win races and maybe contend for a championship and then maybe reevaluate the whole cup thing down the road but you know whatever he does I hope that it's competitive and he can land on his feet in a positive manner and, and continue his career because you know, whether you like him or not, you know, for someone's career to be over because of something like this is, is completely ridiculous. So, um, yeah, hoping that, you know, whatever happens next is a good thing for Noah. Jay, your follow-up. You know, I normally try to be pretty positive, but I really got to side with Mike on this of I don't see the positive to it. Uh, it's not a good look across the board, uh, not just for NASCAR, the team, everything involved with it. Um, and Brian said, and I don't have the numbers. I'd hate to go back and look through, through my own personal timeline. I know it's changed. Um, even with a lot of the race stuff I do at local dirt tracks, I will go through it, maybe like it, but I don't interact like I used to for that same reason. Uh, and it, I think Mike said it of this, this post is actually two years old, um, that this is getting brought up now. You know, I mean, that's just ridiculous. The other thing to me then would be if NASCAR is going to be fair across the board, since they're the ones that technically indefinitely suspended uh, Noah Gregson, they need to audit every driver's post and go through and see. Because I guarantee you there are more out there that have done some things similar to what Noah Gregson has done, um, that you could find something that is offensive, maybe not in the best taste. And like Brian said, we may have done it ourselves uh, without a doubt. Understand the company's policy and where they stand from Legacy Motor Club, but they could have handled it so much differently and addressed it in a different manner. And I'm not saying not to do it publicly because I don't think that's necessarily the answer, but sit down, come out and say, hey, we've talked to Noah about this. This wasn't appropriate. We're taking him through some training or whatever it be and it violates a policy, he's been warned, this may lead to some repercussions down the road. Um, but again, I don't think it really has anything to do with that. I think this was bound to happen one way or another. Uh, for Gregson's sake, I actually think it's best that it happened now, and he's got to regroup, without a doubt, but I think he can recover from this, and I hope that he gets some support. Yeah, I agree that he, this is a good thing for Noah Gregson. One, I'm not condoning what he did um, two years ago. Uh, I think he should go through since training, and, and that's fine. The way it was handled, though, was in very, very poor taste, not only by uh, Legacy Motor Club, because I think they could have handled the situation entirely differently. I was happy to see them come out in support of Noah Gregson by saying, not really in support, but they should have come out with that announcement from the beginning, saying that Noah Gregson has requested the release and, you know, they respect him and, uh, you know, want him to be successful or whatever statement they made there. They, they should have done that to begin with. Instead of saying, we've indefinitely suspended Noah Gregson, NASCAR also came out and said we've indefinitely suspended Noah Gregson because of this news. Uh, but none of them came out and said anything about the, that he's been given the path to reinstatement by going through the sensitivity training. 
None of them. Then there was all the confusion in the media. He's been let go. He hasn't been let go. Uh, It's very bad look by the media, very bad look by NASCAR, very bad look by Legacy Motor Club from the get-go on this thing. And you guys are right. They could have handled it so much more differently that would not have left this bad taste in everybody's mouth. Uh, I don't think anybody is saying that liking the meme was a good thing for Noah Gregson. Nobody is saying that. They're saying that it wasn't handled. And it wasn't. The whole thing was handled very poorly. And um, I do wish uh, that they would have come out in the beginning uh, and just said, maybe they could have said, Noah Gregson is a Chevrolet driver. He signed a contract with them. We're moving to Toyota, therefore he'll be released at the end of the season, and we're allowing him a chance to pursue other opportunities. So there would have been nothing wrong with saying that. <laughs> we're going to bring John Hunter Nemechek in to take his place next year because he's signed with Toyota, and since we're moving to Toyota, that's what we're going to do. Nobody would have blamed them for doing that. Um, but it wasn't handled that way. So. I blame, first of all, Legacy Motorsports for the way they handled the situation. I blame NASCAR. For, NASCAR uh, did give him an avenue, but they didn't really state that in the beginning like they have with other situations of this nature where they've said they can come in and go through the sensitivity training and find another path back into NASCAR. Um, but... I just think the whole thing was handled very, very poorly. And then the media. I blame the media, too, because different media people were saying he was out. Other media members were saying that's not true. He's not out. So what are we left to think? We're left to speculate. So I think the whole thing was handled very, very poorly. I wholeheartedly agree with you. It was handled extremely poorly from the get-go. With the initial reaction of we got to get him out of the car, I think that was that was an overreaction in and of itself. Especially, I, I haven't seen the conf- confirmation. I can't find a good timestamp uh, on the image itself. Uh, it's all resharing and whatnot with recent timestamps. So yeah, I, I, if indeed this post is several years old, and somebody dragged it up to fire the torpedoes at Noah Gregson, it was it's shameful that. People actually bought off on it and decided that this guy needs to be pulled out of a race car two years or more after the, the, the controversial event, which realistically is a, um, a short-term exercise in poor taste and poor judgment. It's not like he committed any sort of crime. He didn't hurt anybody. He didn't do anything illegal. He, he exercised a little bit of poor judgment and some bad taste, and that's the extent of it. But to, to have this thing blow up the way it did – and then be mishandled so poorly on the PR standpoint, it, it's just it's ugly for everybody. And as bad as it is for Noah Gregson to lose his ride, I'm pretty sure he's the one that's going to come out of this looking the best. I think people are kind of Definitely. most people are kind of sick of this this whole cancel anybody who does anything remotely offensive. Um, immediately they got to go to sensitivity training and do the 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 tour of apologies and all that stuff for anything that's remotely considered insensitive. I think people are getting kind of tired of it. And we've touched on it before because they're getting this realization of, Hey, this could be me. I did some stuff that some, I can guarantee, I don't care who you are, 
what you do, what job you have, what background you have, I can guarantee every single person, if you dig deep enough on them, you can find something that they did or they said or they posted or they liked on social media that somebody else would find offensive. And if we're going to go after somebody for a relatively innocuous interaction on social media and to the point where they're going to lose their job, I think a lot of people now are realizing, hey, that could be me. And to see it happen to somebody else again and again and again, I think eventually that there's going to be a reckoning about this, and it, it's going to be a worse look for the companies that are doing this, not just within the NASCAR industry, but in, a, in the broader sense. I think it's going to be a worse look for the companies that are doing this than the individuals who are so-called facing consequences for, for what they've done in the past. So hopefully the dust settles on this and, and everything goes back to looking reasonable but right now it's just it's a black eye for pretty much all parties involved and it's unfortunate okay we'll move on to the next topic brian what do you what do you want to talk about yeah i think so for the record jay you've like thirty four thousand eight hundred tweets by far the most of uh anyone on the panel so it seems like you maybe have the most to be worried about so I'm offended. I, I don't know what it was, but I guarantee in 34,000 posts, Jay has offended me, and there needs to be a reckoning. There's no doubt. He, he should be banned from the show. Can we suspend him? He's suspended. Indefinitely. Also, oh. also we, have to make note, we have to make note that Jay agreed with Mike. I think we need to document that because that never happens. <laughs> yeah, it's insane to me that we're, we're, we're really like liking of tweets been a thing for people now but anyway i digress on to a more fun exciting uplifting topic i think we should flip it up and let's talk about about the trucks titles to kicking off uh at lucas oil raceway uh tomorrow night actually already so i'm um, pretty excited about that i love lucas oil walking mile i think is their second race of the, of the first round so i think it's a great first round and those are kind of two great short tracks that i think the trucks belong on so i'm pretty excited about that um, obviously, um, as far as championship favorites, my heart lies with Grant Enfinger just because one of my best friend's brothers is the engineer on that team, and I got to see them win at Kansas earlier this year on the pit box. So that's kind of where my heart lies. I think Corey Himes by far the best season and probably the, the betting favorite. I think kind of the overall favorite, um, if he can pull it together for those, you know, seven, seven races. I keep forgetting that the trucks is only seven and not ten. Um, so I think those are probably kind of my two favorites, but curious to see what the rest of the, the panel thinks. Sharon, did you throw it over to to somebody? Yeah, I did. I threw it over to Andy. Okay. Oh, I hear you now, Sharon. Yeah. I don't know if you're cutting in and out or not. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, this year, yeah, certainly excited for the playoffs. It's uh, always kind of mind-boggling to think that it's that time of the year already, you know, especially uh, with it being only August. But here we are going into IRP. Um, always enjoy the short tracks and um, really excited, you know, to see the truck series at IRP this weekend. Should be a fun race tomorrow night. Um, you know, and, and you look at the playoff tracks, uh, fairly diverse, you know, and it's hard to really – say for sure who has the upper hand but um i kind of have to look at the drivers who are good on the short tracks because of course we end at phoenix which races like a short track so i think if you've got a good flat short track program um going into the playoffs you're probably looking at um you know the possibility of success 
Um, like what's already been mentioned, Corey Heim to me has been the standout driver this year. I think when you look at what uh, he's done, he's really had a good season, multiple wins, put himself in position uh, to make a deep playoff run. Um, Carson Hosevar has done pretty well as of late. Um, you know, Christian Eckes has had a decent year. Majewski's really good on the short tracks. In fact, you know, you have to look at somebody like him to be good at, you know, Milwaukee, IRP, and Phoenix. So if he can make it to the final four, you have to look at him as a possibility. Um, really hard to count anybody else here. I mean, it's a pretty pretty stacked field for sure. But I think, you know, if you're looking at favorites when it comes specifically time for Phoenix, probably, you know, Heim, Hosevar, um, Majewski, and then, you know, you got to look at possibly like a, a Rhodes or – um, maybe uh, an Enfinger or Eckes, somebody like that as the fourth driver. Really hard to say. Obviously, predictions are just that, and, you know, it'll be curious to see how the playoffs unfold. But starting out with a short track this weekend, I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see the 1198 or somebody like that in victory lane. Well, I think it's already kind of been said. Uh, to me, we haven't seen a dominant, uh, what I would call dominant, Corey Heim obviously ranking at the top, being the regular season champion, the playoff points he's built up, uh, and he won that with missing a race. So you've got to look at the strength of his year all the way across the board. The second one I look at when it comes of consistency and strength throughout the entire year is Ty Majeski, not having won a race, but being there in points uh, as the top one, locked in on points already a while back. Um, as far as consistency, but then you slide to Zane Smith, and I, I don't remember what the word uh, Mike used of very streaky or spotty. He, he started the st- season real strong, kind of dropped off, came back okay. Right now, Carson Hosevar is the one carrying the momentum um, as far as right now and currently uh, strength and moving forward. But then you look at what Brian talked about of some storyline great as far as from the heart and that would be Matt Benedetto your rookie Nick Sanchez I just so close but hasn't been able to close the deal if he picks that up here in the playoffs he could be in there um, and then Matt Kraft and uh, I know it, we, as we read earlier and talked about snuck his way in but again that consistency and just there week in and week out I think it really is kind of a wide open but I would have to move Corey Heim Zane Smith as a defending champion, we've seen him go through the playoffs like this before. Carson Hosevar with the momentum and Ty Majeski. But any other one of the 10 drivers to start with could pick up that momentum and be the one to upset the uh, card, if you will. Your thoughts? Well, like Jay said, and I think Andy said as well, this is going to be a really difficult field to pick for. Um, they've all had their hot and cold moments. Like Jay said, uh, at the beginning of the season, it looked like, hey, you know, engrave the trophy with Zane Smith's name. The guy's got it. He's the defending champion, and he's coming back just as, looking just as strong as he did last year. But really for the past month, probably since a couple weeks before North Wilkesboro, really, it's been Zane who. Um, he's really been he, – he made it into the playoffs with his early wins in the, the season. But really, ever since the spring and, and now into the late summer, Zane has been kind of a non-factor. Uh, not only has he not finished well, he hasn't really been in contention very often. Um, I can't really feel like that any race has really gotten away from him. He had just – they haven't been there. And it's really weird because, like I was saying in our group chat, 
when Zane Smith and that 38 team shows up to the race, they look like superheroes. Um, but there's other times where if you didn't see them on the entry list, you wouldn't know they were there in the first place. They don't run up front. They don't contend. It's, it's really, really weird with that 38 team. So if good Zane shows up, he's the champion. I think uh, if he can recapture the – strength and the momentum that that team had earlier in the year, I think Zane Smith and that 38 is going to be hard to beat because if for no other reason, they demonstrated it last year. They did. They, they pulled it off. Um, other guys, you guys have mentioned Ty Majeski uh, hasn't, uh, hasn't really closed out the deal. He let, kind of let one get away from him at Richmond a couple weeks ago. Um, but again, a very strong, very consistent driver that I think is right there on the edge. And kind of like what we said, when you hang around the front long enough, eventually you're going to get those wins. And I think those wins are coming for Ty Majeski. Carson Hosevar has been very strong lately. Um, kind of as Zane Smith has faded, Carson Hosevar has kind of cut, stepped up to the plate and, and become a much more consistently strong contending race team, which is a good thing to see. We kind of hoped it was coming with Hosevar. We kind of saw some flashes like it might be, but all through last year, it really never came together. He, he, he had a couple good runs, a couple good finishes, but really couldn't string a, a consistent streak together to really put a good, uh, a good season uh, out of it. So I think this may be Carson Hosevar's year as well. You look at some others. You guys have mentioned Christian Eckes, uh, another good contender. I don't know if they've had the strength this year. Uh, they're, they're solid top five trucks. But as we get deep into the playoffs, we know that top five isn't always good enough to close out the deal there. So can Christian Eckes and that 19 team go from being a top five truck to a winning truck? We're going to have to see over the next seven races here. You look further back in the field, Matt Benedetto, a great story for Matt. Uh, you want to talk about a, the driver making the difference on a race team? Look no further than Matt Benedetto on that 25 truck. That 25 was a, a back marker, also ran, start and park kind of, uh, kind of an organization. They brought Matt Benedetto in there, and I don't know that they're ne- – I'm not going to necessarily say that they're a championship contender, but obviously they're in the playoffs for the first time, which is great. They got the win last year at Talladega. Matt has been running up front, but, again, we're back to that discussion of – a top five truck is probably not going to be good enough to win the championship. So can that 25 team continue to build their momentum and go from being that top five truck to being that winning truck? We're going to have to pay attention to see. I like what I've seen. It might not be Matt Benedetto's year this year, but I think it might be coming for them. Um, real interested to see. I think we got a pretty good truck series playoff field coming up, and we got seven really good races that should be really entertaining for us as race fans to watch. Oh. To say, I think this is one of the toughest years to pick who you think the final four might be, and then subsequently the the champion. Um, and and I, that's all I'm going to say, Brian. I'm going to end the baton to you. Yeah, I like that. I think it was a good round. I think we touched on all ten drivers, mentioned them at some point. So I think that's uh, that's awesome. I think it bodes to the fact that it's kind of a a wide open field, and it is kind of tough to lock down that that final four, I think if, if I was held to it, I'd say my final four would be Haim, Hosevar, Rhodes, and Enfinger. So that's what I'll, that's what I'll go with. I'll probably get maybe only one or two of those right. But I was like, Majeski's got a good shot. I think the fact that he's running, you know, the, for the, the ASA or the late model championship as well, at the same time, is going to keep him fresh. I think uh, one of the things that to me would be a struggle with the truck series playoffs is there's some huge gaps in the schedule. Um, you know, once they get going, it's not like cup where you go, 10 straight weeks in a row and you get in a routine, you know, they race this weekend at Indy, they got a week off and it's Milwaukee and there's some other pretty big gaps in there until they get to Phoenix. 
um, at the end of the season. So I think it's got to be tough to kind of just stay in that mindset, that routine. So I do think Majeski maybe has a little bit of leg up on the other guys, given that he's going to be doing some other racing in there as well. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, and something to consider, too, is it's it's sometimes as difficult to look at the regular season performance of these teams because oftentimes if you get that win early in the season, then you can try to experiment and learn for the playoffs. And so you may start to see an uptick in performance from the whole playoff field as they've spent the whole regular season trying to prepare for this playoff run. So um, some guys that have faded, like we talked about with Zane Smith, maybe he comes back alive again and, uh, you know, makes a deep playoff run toward another championship. So it'll be interesting to see, but obviously, you know, whoever gets that first win out of the gate at IRP this weekend really, I think, sets themselves up for a, you know, a, a pretty deep playoff run and, uh, It'll be fun to see. I mean, Friday night, short track racing under the lights, it doesn't really get a lot better than that. So I, for one, am looking forward to seeing the playoffs get started tomorrow night. Okay, Jay, your follow-up. Yeah, I think with maybe the exception of Matt Benedetto, and I say that, as Mike pointed out, we've seen the progression the progression they've gone through. Uh, not quite ready to take that winning races week in and week out and, and be in the championship uh, four or winner. But other than that, I think any one of them, if they were to make that deep, hard run, um, wouldn't be a complete surprise. Even Matt Crafton hasn't had the best of year, doesn't have the victories, kind of snuck in there on points. But we know he's a championship, a champion, a three-time champion for that matter. So that one wouldn't be out of the realm. I think any one of them wouldn't be a complete surprise uh, to see happen. And then we've talked about all the, the positives. I'm going to go ahead and beat Mike to the punch. The negative side is some of these teams that have been good that fall off and aren't fully on go um, as they drop off. Somebody else is going to capitalize on it. So that always comes into play. And I think back to, uh, I think it was William Byron and John Hunter Nemechek, um, both having it all but locked up and just not closing the deal when it comes to the championship. Um, it, it happens. So we're talking about these favorites and how they're running one bad race or hiccup, and it can all come apart. Okay, Brian, uh, who do you think has the best chance of winning at Indianapolis this week? Oh, that's a good question. I think um, I think I got to go. Uh, I don't know. I know Enfinger is a defending winner, so that's too easy of a pick. I feel like I don't like going with with the easy pick. Um, I'm going to go Hosevar. I feel like um, he, if I remember right, he ran well and battled there with Enfinger um, throughout the, the final laps last year um, in that race. I think it was a final late caution that, that kind of lost it for him, if, if I remember right. I could be completely wrong, but I was at that race, so I think I remember it. Uh, so I'm going to go Hosevar as my pick for winning at Indy this weekend. Okay. Andy, you are next up for the next uh, topic. What you got? Yeah, this is um... – you know, some more silly season news coming out this week. Obviously, uh, Front Row Motorsports has its 2024 driver lineup set um, with two full-time cup entries with both Michael McDowell and Todd Gilliland uh, returning to that team. Uh, Zane Smith out, apparently, at Front Row Motorsports. Curious what everyone thinks about that. Jay? Well, this one was interesting because uh, they're – their drivers there, the names were being tossed around in a, in a couple of different uh, aspects um, throughout the season. We, we wondered about that as far as Zane Smith moving in there and Todd Dillon being the one to be out. 
um, after a couple of years of, of maybe not the best performances, as we've talked about some other drivers that have gone through that. Michael McDowell's name was linked to uh, Stuart Haas Racing uh, as one of the top contenders anyway for a ride there, depending on what happens there. I think this is one of those where they as a team have showed progression, Michael McDowell being that veteran and leading that team and making the difference. I think they were able to say, hey, let's continue building with what we got. Spire Motorsports did the same thing with Corey LaJoy as his name got kicked around. I think this was kind of a matter of we're tired of waiting on somebody else and see what happens and leaving us uh, scrambling at the end. We're going to secure what we're going to do and move forward here and now with what we got. I know they said that Zane Smith was still in the conversation and may still be if sponsorship can be found and they can find the right way to put a third car. They're not going to split up that uh, 38 ride like they had this year. Um, And I'm happy for Todd Gillen. Uh, I like Zane Smith. But I really feel like Todd Dillon needs that time, as we've said, to develop. Um, we haven't seen as much progression from him and that team as we have from Michael McDowell's team, who's in the playoff bubble when it comes to the playoffs. But we have seen building. And you took away from that by having him jump over to different rides and have to find a different seat so he could stay eligible. Uh, I think this is a good thing for that team still building and taking it. It's small steps, little steps. But like I said, McDowell's in playoff contention, and we're coming up to some road courses. So I think it's good for that team to lock it down and be done with it. Uh, uh, Mike, your thoughts? I agree with Jay. Um, I think that this is a well-deserved renewal for both those drivers. With regard to Michael McDowell, yeah, certainly has has earned a, a, a renewal at Front Row Motorsports. And to be honest with you, given the performance of Front Row versus Stuart Haas Racing, I think Front Row may have been a better move for them. Front Row is a team that seems to be on a positive trajectory and improving year over year, whereas Stuart Haas Racing has been going in the opposite direction. They've been getting worse and worse, and with the loss of Kevin Harvick over there, everyone's kind of holding their breath, expecting not great things to happen to Stuart Haas Racing. So I think just straight up, I think a, uh, a renewal at Front Row was probably a better move for Michael McDowell than moving over to Stuart Haas Racing in any capacity. So good for him. With regard to Todd Gillen, you really got to give him a lot of credit. We talked about this earlier in the year when it was first announced that he'd be splitting the ride with Zane Smith. We were concerned that the way Todd would handle it, especially based on the way he's handled some adversity in the past, that this was going to be an opportunity for a learning and a growth moment for him. And it was. He took it on the chin. It was a, it's a rough deal. It was, not, it was not a really good position to ask a driver to put themselves in, and he, he did it, and he endured it, and I think he has earned that full-time season that he has now been, uh, been granted for the upcoming 2024 season. So real kudos for Todd Gilliland on that one. With regard to Zane Smith, this is the ambiguity here. I couldn't tell whether they were just saying he's out at front row in the cup series or if that also means that Zane is out at front row because, remember, he drives for them in the truck series as well. So is front row completely getting out of the Zane Smith business or is Zane Smith going to have to look elsewhere for a NASCAR cup 
Series ride. That's probably going to be yet to be determined, and it's going to have to do with the usual sponsorship and what rides are available and whatnot. But, yeah, Zane Smith, the big question mark right there. Everyone's kind of got him circled on their list as a promising prospect to eventually end up in a Cup Series ride, if not for 2024, sometime in the, the fairly near future. Um, but it, it sounds like a little bit of backtracking in terms of the progression of Zane Smith here, losing his opportunity at Front Row Motorsports unless they can put something together that we really haven't seen so far on the horizon. Uh, we'll have to pay attention to that one as uh, the weeks and months go by. Okay, Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, I think what I really like here is, is Gillen getting a full-time season on with Front Row again. It'll be just his third year in Cup, and I think – as we've kind of seen and we talked about, you know, Gregson having such a rough rookie year, it just takes a lot of time for these guys to get up to speed at the cup level. It's such a huge adjustment, such a huge change. And then obviously, you know, Todd went from, you know, running trucks full time up to the cup series and kind of even skipped that Xfinity time frame in his career. Obviously did, you know, ran pretty solid at the truck level um, for several seasons. And I think I, re- I really like the fact that they're going to bring him back, give him another opportunity. I think even this year already, he's got, you know, one more top 10 than last year's average finish is 2.2 positions better than he was last season. And that's with, you know, running a couple of races. I'm not in an FRM car either. Um, so I think, you know, he's, he's shown that he's, you know, improving a little bit here and there. And I think I'm most excited by the fact that they're bringing him back, bringing McDowell back, kind of keeping that team, that consistency. I think sometimes there's just too much of a, a push to change things and do this and do that. I think just giving it a little bit of time, um, we'll, you know, see them continue to get success. And I kind of echo what the other guy said, too. I think McDowell's stay input is a, a great move as well. They've obviously got some long-term sponsor relationship there with Loves and others. I think just a really positive up, outlook, I think, for, for front row, in my opinion. Um, and then, yeah, as far as Zane goes, it was a little bit confusing, kind of the way that that press release was worded. Um, I think it left people questioning, but I believe it was media availability a week or so ago for the truck playoffs. And Zane kind of indicated that he's looking to make a move up next year so i'm guessing that you know he won't return to the trucks we'll look for something at the xfinity end or a cup level just maybe not something with with front row so i I think that's kind of what's going on there um you know as somebody mentioned earlier on the panel it seems like he's been hot or cold um lately in the trucks you know last season it seemed like he was on fire most of the time a little bit of a struggle this year i feel like from either he's run great or he's just not been a factor at all so see if you can kind of turn that around and amp it up for uh the seven race playoffs yeah um interesting move but i think a really good move for front row um you know obviously michael mcdowell's having a really good season and contending for a playoff spot and i feel like you know at times todd gilliland's been fairly competitive and has you know certainly i think earned the opportunity to continue in his ride so um a little bit surprising, though. Michael McDowell was heavily rumored to be doing other things, but I think if you're front row, um, you know, keeping with McDowell is a smart move to help grow that company. So um, I had read that typically front row does their driver deals in the off season come November, but I think, you know, given the rumors swirling, you know, it was wise of them to get these deals done in the summer. And also wise from a standpoint of if, if McDowell's team does make the playoffs, they can 100% focus on on trying to go as far as possible in the playoffs and not worried about what they're going to do next year. So from a, you know, from a Cup Series program building standpoint, um, you know, really smart move, I think, to retain those two drivers. The perplexing part um, is basically telling Zane Smith that he's free to go elsewhere. And, and, you know, like what's already been mentioned, 
you know, will he have the opportunity to come back to the truck program or is he out of that? It's really tough to say. Um, you know, I saw his truck series media availability interview going into this weekend's playoffs, you know, for that to kick off. And, and he seemed confident that something would come to fruition for next year. So I, I think Zane has done enough in his career where he won't be out of a ride. He'll have something and it'll probably be fairly decent. Um, what that is, though, I guess is a bit of a mystery. I, you know, personally think that a, a year or two in Xfinity would really help him out, I think. You know, going straight from a truck to a cup car, while isn't necessarily a terrible thing, you know, I don't know if that would be the best scenario for him. And I definitely think, um, you know, if he were to go to Stuart Haas Racing, that would be a death sentence for not only him, but also the team. They've got a lot of young talent over there. Um you know, and to add another rookie into the fold would be, I think, disastrous for that team. You know, they, like Mike's already mentioned, they're not having the best of years. It's been a couple, three years now since they've been overly competitive. And they really need to, I think, you know, rebuild the program and, and try to, you know, and, and try to get themselves headed back in the right direction. And I'm not sure adding another rookie to the cup program is the right answer there. So, it would be, I think, cool to see him in an Xfinity car for a year or two and, and then, you know, then get a chance at a Cup Series ride. But I guess we'll see what happens. But I definitely think that, again, he's done enough that, you know, he should have something pretty good lined up for next year. But um, smart moves all around by front row as far as their Cup program is concerned. And I think they'll probably only continue to get better as time goes on. All right, Jay, your follow-up. Well, we talked enough about Michael McDowell and uh, and Todd Gill and the opportunities they've run. I want to focus on Zane Smith, and, and this is my take on it. Um, front row understands that Zane Smith has reached his level, the level he's at in the truck series. I think if he were to say, I want to come back and run the truck series, the truck would be available to him. He's a defending champion, going to have a run at the playoffs uh, this coming year. I think they realize they can't hold him back, that he's looking to move forward, up and forward, Xfinity or Cup. They don't have that opportunity to provide a third full-time ride for him in the Cup Series. So I think that's why they're saying he's free to look elsewhere. Uh, I think about Junior Motorsports. They know their role in the Xfinity Series. A lot of times drivers come through there, such as Josh Berry, uh, Noah Gregson, as well as others, as a stepping stone. And that stone has it's just uh, maximized its purpose at this point. Um, like I said, if, if they were to have the funding and be able to put a third car out there for occasional races, I think they would for Zane Smith. But they also realize then they can't hold him and not let him pursue these other opportunities that I think Xfinity Series is where he's going to go. There's a couple of rides that we've talked about um, going to be available there. Um, some teams making some changes or whatever. I think that is where he needs to go, as Andy said. Get two or three years in the cars, um, at the Xfinity, make some Cup Series starts as he can. As everybody's kind of said, that's who's one that's been on everybody's list of possible, just like Carson Hosevar. I think that's another one we may see move uh, in the next year or so. The Truck Series, they've hit their peak. Time to move on. Can you do it? You know, we talk about Toyota at the Cup level. There's just not enough room front row just doesn't have the room for him and they don't want to hold him back. So they're giving him that freedom to uh, find something else. Okay. Mike. 
that, that was a close one. We almost made it through an entire show without me having a strong disagreement with Jay. So I'm really, really glad that we've, we've reached this point in the show because I get to disagree with Jay. I don't think Zane Smith has peaked in the truck series. Yes, he won the championship last year. He had some success earlier this year. But if he had truly peaked in the truck series and gotten everything out of there that that ride would have, we wouldn't have had the discussion that we just had in the last segment about how hot and cold that team is, how inconsistent they've been, and those big question marks going into the playoffs of have they just been holding back doing R&D, and that's why they've been running so poorly, or is there something else in play here? Has Zane lost his edge? Has he been looking too far forward to the Cup Series or some other factor in play there that's going to continue to hold that number 38 team back in the Truck Series playoffs? So I'm not saying that Zane Smith absolutely needs to come back to the truck series, but I would also say that it wouldn't necessarily hurt him to do so running up front in a competitive ride, like that number 38 front row truck is probably more beneficial to him than running in the back of the pack in the Xfinity series. If he can only get a ride in a mid to back marker car, if he can get something that is a consistently good piece of equipment, uh, perhaps a SHR car, if Cole Custer moves back to the Cup Series full-time, maybe Zane Smith goes into the SHR double zero again. As usual, the, the typical sponsorship discussions and whatnot in play there. Um, but if, you, if you're going to take Zane Smith out of what should be a front-running competitive truck and put him into a mid-pack Xfinity car, I think that's probably going to do more harm than good in terms of progressing and continuing to develop Zane Smith with the eventual goal of putting him in a competitive Cup Series car and making Zane Smith a winner and a champion at the Cup Series level. So I'm not sure what this is going to happen. This Obviously, this bomb got dropped on us earlier this week, and we really haven't had a whole lot of time to digest it, nor have we gotten really any more details, including – what Zane Smith's actual future in the Cup, uh, in the truck series is going to look like. There's still a lot of ambiguity there. So we're kind of waiting on some information there to see where specifically Zane Smith ends up next season. Brian? Sorry, you cut out there. I just kicking it back to me. Are we going for a new topic? No, uh, we're kicking it back to you for follow-up on Zane okay. and uh, Front Row Motorsports. Yeah, I, I'm kind of torn between you guys, actually. I, I can't decide if I think he should move on from the truck series or one more year. I think after last year, I would have said almost move on. This year, I feel like it's been a little bit hot and cold. Um, it'll probably matter more what ride's kind of open. I don't necessarily know it would make jump to the cup level, but... Uh, you know, a quality Xfinity series ride, I think, would be um, awesome for him. You know, the, the, some of the options you guys mentioned, I think, would probably be a perfect landing spot and kind of give him that next step up. But it will also be interesting. We've seen guys that have kind of made that jump. You look at, you know, Sheldon Creed. He was pretty dominant in the truck series, in my opinion. He struggled at the Xfinity level even. So, you know, I think sometimes you got to be careful how quickly you move up, but also you don't want to be, you know, gone and forgotten about as either. Not that he would be. He's made the truck playoffs the last two years, obviously. Um, but I think it'll uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Silly season's always a, a fun time, and we'll see what moving parts and pieces and dominoes we get to start falling here in the coming months. Okay, wrap it up, Andy. You know, and something else to consider too with this is what is uh, what is Zane's you know deep ties or lack thereof with Ford? Is he is he have a deep Ford contract or not? Um, if he does, then you have to think that they will find placement for him next year. Um, you know, I think that when you look at Ford's development program, he's kind of the only thing they really got going right now. So 
you have to think that they will help him out. But I don't know the extent of his relationship with Ford, if he's got a driver development deal with them or not. But um, if he does, then he'll certainly, I think, probably find somewhere to go next year. It should be noted that um, Zane did run an Xfinity race earlier this year at Nashville. And although on paper it said RSS Racing, it was really a third Stewart Haas car, so read into it what you will. But I just think, in my opinion, that's the logical next step for him to take would be a year or two in the Xfinity Series. And like Brian said, that doesn't always translate to success, but um, I would rather see him do that than get into the Cup Series and be over his head. So um, I think the key to you know what Dane's future is, though, will be how he performs in the playoffs this year. Um, you know, like what's already been noted, it's been a bit of an up and down season. However, um, you know, it's playoff time and this is when, you know, the playoff teams will show up and, and perform at the highest level. So um, I don't think we've seen the last of Zane Smith. I expect that he'll contend for wins throughout the playoffs and, you know, how that goes may depend on what his 2024 looks like. But I do think, like I said in the first round, that he's had a good enough of a career that he will should land somewhere decent for 2024. Okay, uh, we'll let that be the final word there on the hot topics for tonight. Uh, and uh, Jay, I'm going to kick it off to you for the roundtable sign-off here. All right, you can follow me on uh, Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I know Brian's keeping an eye apparently on what I'm doing on there, but for those that don't follow me, You'll see, at least this coming weekend, hopefully, barring any weather issues, we're going to finish up the Hot Shot Shootout for the third time, third try at it for this year, actually. But that'll be at Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway. If not, Magnolia Motor Speedway, fan appreciation night, $5 to get in there. There is a track around you. Go visit it. Okay, Mike. It's going to be Mike underscore is on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Looking forward to the racing this weekend at IMS and also IRP. Uh, we already talked extensively about the truck series playoffs, so that's uh, that's probably the long pole in the tent in terms of excitement. IMS, I'm cautiously optimistic that some of the changes that NASCAR has made regarding the restart zone and the way the race is conducted in terms of stages and whatnot. I'm hoping for a better product than what we've seen at IMS over the past couple of years, a more consistent, entertaining product, and I'm looking forward to seeing it this weekend. Okay, Brian. Yeah, best way to follow me on Twitter, uh, beeberly18. Um, obviously, feel free to come through my likes if you like. There's 15,800 of them. Let me know if there's anything on there that offends you. Uh, kid. But, yeah, a lot of great racing this weekend. <laughs> obviously, you guys have already kind of touched on getting out to your local tracks, when and where you can. I'm excited about IRP. I'm not really touched on it yet, but the SRX race and Eldora, um, I think that'll be a lot of fun to watch, um, as always, and as well as we've got the Knoxville Nationals going on out in Knoxville, Iowa. So I think it's a lot of good racing this weekend. Uh, the TV buttons will be getting a lot of workouts. It's a good thing I've got three of them there on the wall to keep up with everything. But looking forward to another good weekend of racing. And uh, thanks, as always, for having me on the show. And Andy. CB14 fan on uh, Twitter. And uh, as always, good to be back. I actually made both shows this week, which is a record probably since, like, June. So definitely happy to be on today and uh, always thankful for the opportunity. Always fun to talk with you guys about racing. Uh, and, yeah, looking forward to this weekend. I'll be watching Eldora tonight, and I believe I uh, should be able to watch all the action at Indy, whether it be IRP or IMS this weekend. So 
really looking forward to it. Um, should be a lot of fun between, you know, short tracks and uh, the road course. And, um, yeah, looking forward to it. should be a fun weekend. Definitely looking forward to the weekend of racing uh, this weekend. I will be on the road from Texas back to Chicago. So uh, it's, I'll be listening on the radio uh, to the uh, racing that's taking place this weekend. Um, but uh, I am Fan for Racing Spike on Twitter, Fan for Racing Blog and Radio everywhere else, including our website, fanforracing.com, where you can uh, listen to our podcast via the player that I'm going to be posting in just a few minutes. We're also on iTunes and TuneIn as well as iHeartRadio, uh, Amazon Radio. You can find us uh, just about everywhere that streaming is available now. So, uh, again, uh, we'll be back again next Monday. We are doing a podcast again Monday uh, because – uh, I have an obligation for Monday night, uh, and so I'm not available Monday night So we're doing the podcast instead. So watch for us uh, doing it during the same time format here. Um, and then Thursday, we'll be doing the preview show of the upcoming racing again, and that, too, will be a podcast. So two podcasts for next week. Uh, a big thank you to everybody who tunes in and listens. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoy doing the show. We always have a lot of fun here, and uh, uh, we'll look forward to doing it again next week. So, uh, again, uh, a big thank you to our Fan for Racing crew. I appreciate you guys, uh, as always, uh, for sharing your thoughts and, and opinions here on our Fan for Racing radio show and specifically our hot topics. You guys all do a great job. And uh, looking forward to uh, the weekend. So with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap, guys. All right. Have a good weekend. Have a good one. Bye.